Without getting too crass about it, watching these movies as a prepubescent boy, discovering my sexuality, <laughs> the trifecta of, of Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin were instrumental in making my pee-pee feel funny. <laughs> okay, okay, but I gotta know, though. <laughs> I have to know. Can't do that to me when I got a drink in my mouth. Was, was it Nicole Kidman's cleavage, or was it Jim Carrey's super tight package in that green leotard? Which was it, though? I firmly believe that these films made me the bisexual I am today. The Epic Film Guys Podcast. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Epic Film Guys Podcast. I'm ready to have a joygasm. Let's start this party with a bang! (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Brian, and I'm also an epic film guy. You suck. I thought you were a stage actor. I thought you did plays, asshole. (laughs) Weren't you on a cat on a hot tin roof or some shit? Fiddler on some fucking roof. Daddy's going to spank you with the belt now. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. We're back finally after after the live stream for The Cure. Uh, Just a a little bit of a little bit of doldrums in there. Of course, we took last week out in, 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 you know, support of Cult 45. Brandon from Cult 45 put together the hashtag podcast blackout. In support of Black Lives Matter, which of course very very important. Uh, so we took last week off because of that, and there's a B side floating around in the back annals of my computer somewhere. That literally, I promise you, the second I'm not dying from the amount of work I have to do, uh, will be edited and out in all of your ears. But uh, fourth annual live stream for the Cure, gentlemen, a resounding success i don't even i don't even know how else to say i'm still having trouble looking at the actual total the actual final which is not final by the way i still don't have red bubble merch money because it's red bubble and i probably won't get it until fucking august god knows but like the the total's still not final but i mean we raised almost sixteen thousand dollars which you realize is more money than we raised the first three years of the event combined it is insane um it's hard to wrap your head around it really is as it was happening and once we got past our initial goal that was a shock as it was but then when we started to obliterate that and people just kept dumping more and more money into that fund it i just i kind of let go and disconnected it was like wow anything's literally possible with this event right now so uh the sky's the limit man and i I just got to say on the air, hats off to you, especially for all the hard work that you put into the event every single year. I mean, obviously, you can't stop thinking about it. It's one of your biggest passions in life. Can't. Um, so hats off to you and a huge thanks to our good friend, Dan Brennick, director Brennick from Netflix as well for <laughs> flying, flying during COVID. All the way up there, flying and then and li- literally, literally palling around at the Syracuse airport. He kept dialing into the kickoff event 
while the kickoff event was live after like when he took off then he landed in charlotte i believe for his connecting flight and then when he landed in syracuse dialed in all three times and then hung out at the airport for literally two hours waiting for me to drive up to syracuse to pick him up and then legitimately we had to leave the house at 2 30 in the morning on monday to drive him to the airport in syracuse for a 6 a.m flight so he i mean and it's not his fault they changed his schedule around they changed his flight around and completely messed with the schedule so it wasn't supposed to be that crazy but it just kind of ended up being that crazy. But it was good that I had the time off that I just had the downtime to take after that. But yeah, Dan is absolutely instrumental in running the event. He's a soldier in that green room. He de- he deals with all the audio tech stuff and trying to get people's internet connections and audio connections, microphone connections, everything sorted in order to get them live on the air, in order to get them you know, to where everything is working and running a hundred percent. It's it, like I said, I, I couldn't do the event without him. Oh, also Gerald was here. So yes. And, uh, <laughs> boy sauce, the both, both of us, the two of us actually got to meet Gerald when he was on his way back from next. He stopped for half an hour and hung out with the two of us, which was the first time I've seen you, um, in person in a few months, but it was great to meet Gerald in person. And, uh, definitely, Huge props to him as well for all the passion and for driving love he put his into ass the all the way up here and driving literally at the crack driving. of dawn on on Thursday yeah. to get up here Thursday afternoon and then did some two piece segments. We had a lot of fun with that and you know he he was a gopher for us basically sometimes like he ran to the store after he got here to pick up some stuff that I needed for the two girls on a bench segment when we made that salsa live on the air. That was so much fucking fun. I miss my cooking podcast so goddamn much, guys. But you know like between that and like he he ran to the store to get beer he was helping us do social media and stuff like that so thank you gerald for being on site for the event as well uh hopefully we'll have it so we're not on top of each other as much next year i've got to think of a better i just can't be here anymore but i won't be living here anymore next year when it comes time for the event i'll be in a different place and we're going to see exactly what happens in terms of event layout because it's it when you have me dan and gerald sitting in about a like four foot radius of each other like to where we could all reach and touch each other pretty much and then like when all of us are trying to do stuff at the same time like manage stuff it gets to be audio chaos because all three of us are really really loud (laughs) so it just you know it was it was just a, a, a a deafening cacophony of sound but it was really really great and the event flowed so smoothly we were talking about it a little bit before we got on the air uh the event ran so so smoothly thank you so much to every single one of our podcast partners everybody that put in so much goddamn work into your segments Uh, i had such a blast being on the air with everybody it was so much fun i don't think we had a, a single real hiccup in terms of anything, unfortunately, the ladies from uh, I Shake My Head, Lisa and Sam, they weren't able to join us. This would have been their third year on the event. Uh, Lisa had a work snafu, unfortunately, last minute, and they had to pull out of the event. But Gerald stepped in, hosted a two-piece horror segment with you guys, which was really, really great. Um, and that gave me a chance to not be on the air and take a break and everything. Uh, I also want to give a huge, huge, huge thank you to Jade and the team at Carnivore Candy for sending us a boatload and i mean a literal truckload of of jerky it wasn't a truckload it was a box but it was a nice size box full of a lot of bags of jerky dan and i ate most of it like just on and off all weekend and then of course we did the carnivore candy challenge every two thousand dollars we tasted uh hotter and hotter and hotter until we got up to the insanity they're absolutely maximum level when we hit ten thousand dollars right before (laughs) 
poor Julio uh, the, from the Contrarians. They had us watch Sliver, Julio and Alex, and that was the $10,000 segment. That was the segment right after we hit $10,000. So I was incapacitated for half of it from eating that insanity jerky. That stuff is not fooling around. It's that kind of heat where you eat it and it just keeps getting hotter for about 10 minutes. Doesn't matter what you do. You breathe. You think about it. You drink liquid. You eat. Doesn't matter. It just keeps getting hotter. And then it finally starts to die out. Finally starts to go away. But the question is, Nick, the aftermath. How was that? Oh, that was. Pr- I didn't have a problem. I've been eating tons of spicy food anyway. Like that's basically whenever you're losing weight, like the capsaicin helps metabolism, helps you burn fat, and it doesn't have any calories. Hot sauce doesn't. So I've been doing tons and tons of spicy food, hot sauce, and everything basically since I started drop the sugar and started all this diet stuff anyway. So this was hotter than the hot sauce that I'd been used to. Obviously, this was way hotter than anything else. But yeah, super, super huge. The jerky's amazing, by the way, guys. Get carnivore candy if you if you haven't. It's really, really best jerky I've ever had. Maybe aside from jerky gold marinade jerky, but no, it's it, I'm sure it's way never, better than never ponies up it's, anymore. It's probably way better than jerky gold marinade. It is really, really great. It, it's really, really amazing stuff. And and you know, special thank you to them. They did not have to send nearly as much as they did. I'm giving away half of what they sent because I can't fucking eat it all. Mostly because I don't want to eat that much insanity jerky, and I want other people to suffer. Probably. I, I I would love to suffer. I still haven't received my sample. I'm going to send you. Well, I'm going to dry out your sample so it's tough as shoe leather. I'm going to send hey, you a little you know tiny I'll piece. I'll see. I'll probably stop by your place next week. I'm I'm, I'm supposed to yeah. be up there for some prizes reason. Prizes are I don't still know. here, so prizes are coming. If you if you're listening to this, if you did win a prize during the event, or there are still prizes, I actually haven't drawn. I still have to draw for the year of Podbean, the year of free Podbean special. Thank you to Shannon Martin of Podbean for again giving us a free year of Podbean. Yes, to give thank away you as a prize. so 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 much. And for banner listing us, we were listed in the banner on on the on the event. Uh, throughout the event, I should say, and all week like leading up to the event, we were listed on the front page, which was absolutely That's amazing. Right. And that resulted in putting us back into the popular podcast section on Podbean. Yeah, up so. in the top, up in the top section on yeah. the page. So, I mean, that's yeah, always really great. She's always willing to do that for us every single year. So it's absolutely amazing. Absolutely love that. And I mean, yeah, just everybody that donated, everybody that tuned out uh, to watch Drew Hallam, our fucking soldier, hashtag moonshine for Drew motherfucker downed a whole bottle of uh of moonshine over that course of that weekend i mean god love him. A champ, every thousand dollars he was he was ready and waiting to jump in there do him live on the air i'm gonna cut together a special video of all of drew's moonshine shots just because uh it, it you know he like i said he was a soldier he jumped right on he did it uh dave had us do that that margarita the 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 trash reader recycled reader whatever it is for judge dread that was great uh, just so, so many amazing, fun segments. I don't think any event, and this was the most amount of work, and this was the longest time on the air, but I don't think I've had more fun doing this event uh, than I did this year. This was such an absolute blast uh, to do. And and the fact that after day one, Caleb donated his Trump money, single biggest donor right there. Caleb donated his entire stimulus check that he got. And that put us at 25% before the event proper even began. And then, you know, we were talking about it before we recorded again, but we hit our goal of $10,000. We hit it midday Saturday during the, uh, the, those nerds over there segment playing tabletop simulator, we hit $10,000 and I'm looking at the total and I'm like, wait a minute, we haven't even had some of our biggest, like biggest producers, 
on the air yet. We hadn't even had Afterburn yet at that point, and they always kill it. They crushed it again this year, over $1,000 in donations they collected and donated all live on the air. Like It's amazing the amount of generosity, the absolute insane amount of money uh, that people donate to this cause for a future immune to cancer, something that I very, very strongly believe in. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, the gentleman from Interrupted Tales just crushing it. Sean Ennis doing Telltale Heart fucking with his lights off and his hair all messed up in, in the dark and everything. That was such a crazy, like, great. He really got into it. It was so great. And like I said, Interrupted Tales, like their whole family just dumping money at us. Netflix and Swill, thank you to the patrons of 2Ps and Netflix and Swill. We got their Patreon money for, for the month. Uh, Dan donated a, a pretty substantial amount himself as well. I'm forgetting people and in, in, in donation amounts. Um, Jared Taylor, like destruction in human form, our soldier. Like we love him. He's absolutely, you know, probably top three or top five donors again for the event this year. He always is so, so generous during the event. We, we can't thank you enough. We can't thank every single one of you enough. I mean, I words could never possibly express my gratitude. Like we've, we've, so second year of the event, first year we we make half of our goal, Justin, $1,250 out of a 2,500 goal. We didn't even make it halfway. I decide I'm going to double down. Second year, we're going to do 5,000. That was the first year that we had Perry and Lindsay on the event. Perry was diagnosed a month before the event. So after we hit our goal, you remember we raised about $800 for them. That's right. you know? And then last year we raised about $8,300 all told at the end of the day. You know, so I went into this year with $10,000 as a goal, feeling comfortable, nervous because of COVID and everything going on. People are out of work. Money's tighter. The economy's not as good. Didn't really know what was going to happen. And then people, I, you know, just blew it out of the water. Like I said, when we hit $10,000 and Afterburn hadn't even been on the air yet, and we still had like 12 hours of content over two days left to go. Like, and that was why this year we were smart. We pushed the goal to 12,000 and then to 15,000 instead of just letting whatever came in over the top of it be gravy. It's like, no, we can push for this. We can make this, we can do this. And we did because of every single one of you out there listening that donated, that took the time to share the event, to champion the event, to support the event in literally any way that you did. I mean, like I said, there, I cannot even fathom $10,000 goal, almost $16,000. And you got to think most of that's going to be doubled by the Cancer Research Institute, which puts us somewhere in the neighborhood. I haven't done the final math on it because I'm waiting for Redbubble money, but it puts us somewhere in the neighborhood of $30,000. If everything donated from May forward got doubled, we're like in the neighborhood of $30,000 that we raised, all told. That's beyond belief, man. Literally, be. I mean, I, I, I'm at a loss Crazy. for words. I'm sitting here listening to you speak these words. And I still, knowing that it did happen, can't believe yeah, it. I can't. I I look at it and I can't believe it. I and you know it's 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 just insane. But th thank you. That's that's literally the only thing I can possibly say to everybody out there is just thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you from the absolute bottom of my heart. And I know I speak for Justin and Lois Sauce as well. Just we absolutely just thank you. Just just thank you. There's nothing else to say, but but thank you. But. Gentlemen, it's a special night, and we've got hashtag Canon Quarantine coming back next week. Now, Justin's running away. He didn't want to watch The Last American Virgin, ladies and gentlemen, so he's leaving no, me in the sauce holding the ball. I never said that. I, I've seen, see, I've seen that movie. I know that neither of you have seen that movie yet. I've seen that movie. 
Okay. I'm going on vacation for a couple days. So running for the hill. So Justin's going to be MIA at least. Well, is it next week or is it two weeks? I can't remember. It's only next week. He's going to be gone for three weeks. We're not letting him back after a couple weeks. We're, pu- we're putting him in the doghouse. <laughs> I need to be back. Listen, I need, I need to be back for. That's happening. That's happening. Is ha- Lois Oss is going to wear his. Uh, he's going to borrow Dave from Super Mario Brothers. Is going to send him the Judge Dread helmet that he made to wear the segment for Livestream for the Cure, which was amazing. As soon as I tune on the call, Dave's wearing that. He made it out of cardboard or something. He just colored it in with like markers or something and cut it out. But uh, I love Dave so much. But uh, yeah, Lois Oss and I are going to pick up hashtag Canon Quarantine next week on the show with the last American version, which you guys did vote for over in the Hopesters Dumpster. So thank you very much. But we're celebrating, gentlemen, 25 years of a movie that let me let me put it this way so special once upon a time part of that movie was part of the intro for the epic film guys and you've got to be a very very special film to earn a place in the intro of our show justin what are we doing tonight baby And I'm Loisauce, and thank you for tuning into the Epic Film Guys podcast. Sorry, I missed my cue earlier. I was uh, busy combing my beard. You guys should see this thing now. It doesn't even... Well, you guys saw him during live stream for The Cure. He's he's just beautiful. I got to see it in person without, without, without his mask on, and uh, he needs to keep that shit. Groom it, trim it, but keep it. It is him now. It is. There is it's no boy sauce without it's it. It's his identity now. I, I really, really feel like he has to have this thing literally for, for all of all of eternity. He's he's well. I, I, Hendo sent me the sound drop. I should just play it. Uh, congratulations to Teen and Hendo, by the way, for roundly like spanking the shit out of myself and Loisos and Pod v Pod, finally earning their vengeance after I trounced them with Bronson and Canon movies. Uh, they they came back with a vengeance, but it was a lot of fun. I love those guys so much. That segment was a lot of fun. It was it was heaps of fun, uh, but an embarrassment. It was a, a colossal embarrassment for us, yes, because we did terrible. <laughs> Holy fuck, we did bad. Gentlemen, Ooh. riddle me this, riddle me that. Who's afraid of the big black bat? Batman forever. Cue that Kiss from a Rose song from Seal that was on the radio every single day in 1995. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to take a time machine back to when McDonald's commercials were awesome. They made you want to go buy food without thinking about how bad and how chemically infected that food was. Because you know what? With your meal, you got an amazing Batman glass. Yeah, man. So, Justin. Batman forever. So, Justin, let's start this off then. Your first experience or your first time seeing Batman forever and also the hype that went along with this movie. Because you were how old when this movie came out? <laughs> I was in fifth grade. I'm looking at Nick's face right now, and he's like, oh, God, I have to listen to him talk for that long. Um, no, I'll try to make it short. Um, I remember 
a lot when it comes to movies, very specifically movies from my childhood. And I remember the exact moment that I found out that Michael Keaton would no longer be playing Batman. Did you uh, cry? Heart fucking broken. Yes, I did. I was in the bathtub. <laughs> He's crying about it right now. I was in the bathtub. Take literally. Okay, I'm a boy. I was taking a bath. At, I was in fifth grade, so no one can make fun of me now, except for the two of you and all of you listeners out there. What am I talking about? You'll all probably make fun of me. I like taking a bath. Okay, whatever. It's relaxing. Kids and my take dad, baths. That's something dad, that kids do. <laughs> my dad knocked on the door and he's like. Justin, I just heard on the radio, Michael Keaton's not playing Batman anymore. And I, I fucking freaked out. And he was like, remember that movie, Grandma and Grandpa's you watched, Tombstone? The guy with the long mustache, the d- guy that was dying, he's playing Batman. And I was like, what the fuck? I literally thought my dad was just being mean and trying to troll me. No, no, he, he was totally correct in that evaluation and that news. Um. But fast forward from that moment about, I'd say, seven months. There used to be this store in big malls, not little malls, but big malls. Boy, I saw it was called the Warner Brothers store. These were the days when we didn't have the Internet for movie trailers. You only saw a movie trailer at the theater before a movie. And most of the time, there was no premiere date for that trailer. You just happened to walk into a certain movie and the trailer played with that movie. Or it was really close to the release of the film on the big screen and you got to see the trailer or TV spot, the shortened version, on TV. I randomly went to a Warner Brothers store in the Syracuse Carousel Mall about an hour from where I lived at the time with my parents. And I loved going in there because they had the DC corner. They had all kinds of Batman and Superman stuff over there. And I walked in and in the middle of the Warner Brothers store, for those that had been to one, there was a huge screen and they would show, you know, commercials and Warner Brothers footage and old Looney Tunes cartoons and things like that. And I remember looking at a Batman figure and hearing Danny Elfman's Batman score playing. I turned around, looked at the screen, and what was before my eyes? The first trailer for Batman Forever. Those people will remember that trailer because it did still have Danny Elfman's music to it. And I freaked the fuck out. It looked amazing. I couldn't believe what I saw. I I, I was just like going into this transic state and freaking out. And... One of the the employees that saw me freaking out was like, hey, this kid, he's fucking going nuts here. He might have a seizure or something. He's like, hey, sir, excuse me. We have a section for the merchandise already over there. (laughs) They had a fucking shirt and a hat. You better believe that I walked out with one of each. And I was in school the next day telling every single kid that I saw the trailer for the new Batman movie. No one believed me. No one believed me. But from that moment forward, I was officially excited for a new Batman. This is coming from a kid whose favorite movie was at that moment. And it still is to this day, 25 years later, Tim Burton's Batman, my favorite movie. And that was the moment when the hype really started for me. And I'll pass it along because I'll keep talking, but I, 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 it's, it's such a special moment for me knowing that I got to see that movie the way that I did in the trailer, especially the way that I did for the first time, because it was like it could not that could never exist today. Yeah, that's a great memory for sure. You know, 
So Nick, do you have any specific memories about seeing this movie or like the hype building up to it? I saw it in the theater. (laughs) Perfect. The the end. Next. Well, dude, I have, I have memories. Do you at least remember the name of the theater? Do you remember where you saw the movie? Yeah, I saw it at uh, I saw it at the same theater that I go to today. The same one, the the AMC. No shit. Well, it, was, dude. it was Lowe's Cinemas at that Lowe's. time. It wasn't uh, it right. wasn't the AMC at that time, but yeah, no, I saw it at the I saw it at that same. Of course, that theater. Well, it sucked worse then, I guess. Whatever. Uh, I'm pretty it, sure it was the same, except for the seats, isn't it? I'm pretty, pretty sure they much, were really yeah, very little has changed yeah. about that theater in the last 25 years. But no, I know I saw it in the theater. Uh, that much, I, that much, I definitely remember um my fondness for this movie comes more from when i owned the when i owned the uh the batman trilogy vhs collection when with it came with the 89 returns and of course batman forever so that that's when more of my nostalgia for it and everything comes up because i probably burned out a vhs tape of not just not just this movie but you know that entire trilogy like i've seen this movie and even I when I rewatched this movie today, I very passively rewatched it because I can quote the entire fucking thing from beginning to end. I know literally every single bit of this movie. So it's it was just for me it was just kind of almost like refresher sort of. Sure. You know. It was yeah. the same thing that I did too 100%. But Loisas you um, said you you actually do I mean, you were born only 2 years before this movie came out in theaters. Right. But you do have a special memory from your childhood regarding it. That's right. So um, like Nick, uh, I was introduced to this movie. Well, not like Nick because he saw it in a theater. But I was introduced. My nostalgia was tied back to the VHS tape as well. One summer when I was a kid, I took a trip to Texas to visit my extended family. Um, And all of the young cousins would sleep and hang out in my cousin's RV. And on the VCR that they had in the RV, uh, we would watch on a continuous loop two VHS tapes shrek and batman forever so i must have watched batman forever about a dozen times that summer and i never got sick of it um being a young boy of eight you know enthralled with comic books and action figures and and particularly batman the animated series at that time i was precisely the audience that the filmmakers were hoping to attract with this movie um after the relative box office disappointment uh, or I should say underperformance because it was still a huge hit, but it was underperforming I would in the say eyes slight of slight underperformance. Well, yeah. in the eyes of Warner Brothers, though, it made about one hundred and fifty million dollars less than uh, Batman eighty nine. Uh, so, in comparison to the blockbuster that was eighty nine, um, and also you know with concerns that the dark and grotesque nature of Batman Returns was far too intense for for children and for you know, advertising tie-ins. Warner Brothers wanted to move in a more colorful, accessible, and marketable direction for the third installment. So, uh, Tim Burton was asked by Warner Brothers to step down as director, though he remained attached to the project as producer. Um, Enter director Joel Schumacher, who was then known for his work on The Lost Boys, uh, Falling Down, The Client, Flatliners, etc., who helped steer the franchise away from from the gothic atmosphere and brooding tone that traumatized children and angered parents and into the crowd-pleasing slice of, of day-glow popcorn entertainment that is Batman Forever. Children were so traumatized, Loisos, by Batman Returns that Jenny Jones actually had a segment on the show where they brought kids on to talk about 
how the movie affected them. And at the time, there was way before we had an asshole that was a kid critic on our show. There was a kid critic back in the 90s. <laughs> Are you I don't talking know about me? <laughs> No, I'm talking about that that kid that we had on the show that was really annoying, and I don't remember his name. Lex Camera Jackson. There it is. Um, but there was a kid critic. Zinga. Oh, I don't have the laugh track ready. I'm no, never you... ready. God. Jesus, Nick. What happened to your comedic timing? But they actually had a, a kid critic on Jenny Jones to explain why he thought the film was badly marketed because it was being marketed towards, in parentheses, kids because of the McDonald's tie-ins, the toys, and how it was too violent for kids and how it disturbed him. So, yes, it was known publicly in the newspapers, in press, in print, on the news, everywhere, that Batman Returns was, quote-unquote, too violent and too gory and too disturbing for families, Um, even though all those fucking parents still took their kids to see it. But, yes, so... Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Feel free, man. I was just going to say, so, you know, from the opening moments of this movie, you you notice a difference, a change in the in the overall tone, because there's a very dramatic opening of Batman suiting up. It's very exciting, getting you revved up. And the very first spoken line indicates that this film is going for a decidedly different tone than the prior installments. Can I persuade to take a sandwich with you, sir? I'll get drive through. <laughs> Nick. Um, Fucking Christ. <laughs> your, your take on the, on the tone and especially that opening line, what that, it, what that indicates to you as an audience member. <sighs> That uh, shenanigans are afoot. <laughs> that, I mean, literally, I mean, it does. It does completely set the tone. Although, you know, the opening action sequence, and there's a definite, there's a, there's a, a gradual lightning and tone that goes on throughout this movie. It gets more cartoonish the longer it goes on. It actually kind of the opening action sequence with Two Face is actually pretty violent and pretty dark. In a couple of I would say a couple yeah, of different ways. So, but it does tell you that it's not it's it's not going to be that dark and gothic film. It's going to be tongue planted a little bit more firmly in cheek, a little bit jokey, a little bit fun. We're going to try to lighten things up. We're going to try to have fun. But I think maybe what who, I can't remember who wrote the script for the movie, but um, Akiva Goldsman. Yeah. So I think that the the plan probably was to maybe. He co-wrote the movie, but yes. Give give those people who liked the kind of dark and gothic Burton-esque take on the movie, and maybe that was Burton's influence as a producer, you know, to maybe kind of not so quickly throw people into, quote-unquote, the deep end of the cartoonish garishness of this movie, to kind of gradually ease them into it a little bit, where, you know, like I said, it's it's it, the opening is darker, and then it gets progressively lighter as it goes on. Well, what I love about the opening of this movie is it it, it definitely, as Lois Haas is trying to uh, get get to his point, I should say, um, it shows you right off the bat it's something completely different than what you were used to. The first Batman opens very dark. It's a, it's a slow opening when you go through the symbol and the music swells. And there's this mystery to it. And in Batman Returns, it opens with the Cobblepots literally throwing the penguin, a small child, a toddler, to a dark, deep, watery grave to his death. And then it takes a while for the action to get moving. 
I remember being a kid in the theater when this movie opened. And when that Warner Brothers symbol turned into a bat symbol, which uh, historically that was the first time Warner Brothers ever did that with their logo for a movie. We had seen it plenty of times since then, but that was the first time they actually warped their logo into something. The whole crowd went fucking wild. Uh, I saw this opening night with my grandmother and my father and my little sister at the Tioga Theater, which when you and I went to see our friend Spencer and Marissa's wedding last year, I drove by that theater and showed it to you. It's still there. It's still running. It's a historic theater. Um, and it was it was bonkers, man. And I love the energy that it brings. Um, and, I'll, and I'll go on a limb here and, and I'll say this probably later on to, to, to more detail. But um, I think Golden Thal's score builds so perfectly in his Batman march. The movie opens and you just see a bunch of names of a bunch of huge movie stars and you see a symbol that says forever with light gleaming behind it. And the first fucking image you see of action is Batman putting his glove on real fast and grabbing a bunch of his arsenal and his gadgets. And it is very exciting. I mean, it's it's pulling no punches. It's not wasting any time. It's throwing you right into the action. It's like. Hey, you know those last two movies? Well, this is another one of those, but it's it's faster, it's more colorful, it's more upbeat, and there's going to be a lot more action to it. And I really, I just, the, the opening of this movie still to this day gives me goosebumps. I just love how fast-paced it is and energetic. There was an alternate opening to the movie where you saw Two-Face escaping from Arkham Asylum. There was that whole thing. I think it was a wise move to delete that and just get the right to it. The Bat must die. I, I actually really like that footage. I think it's very well done. Um, And I'm sure we'll elaborate on this a lot deeper throughout the review. The original concept of this movie, the original script of this movie, the original idea in Joel Schumacher's mind for this movie was way darker, more complex, more mysterious than the movie we got. But we all know why we didn't get that movie. I think Schumacher's approach to the material, in a lot of ways, it's exactly what a Batman movie should be. It's dynamic. It's, it's operatic. It's larger than life. Um, you know, so Batman Forever has not yet entirely abandoned the darker tone of the Burton films. Um, you know, we're not in bat credit card territory yet. Uh, but there is a certain sense of like desperation where it's like, we got to punch it up and make it, uh, you know, more, more for kids. Like you have, speaking of the opening scene, which I think is, is exciting, but you have this, this hostage character who Batman is, rescuing at one point uh due to a trap set by two-face this man's acting oh no it's boiling acid my shoes are melting it's like why is this grown man acting like a kindergartner playing pretend who directed this <laughs> it's like oh, it, who directed it, it, him that, to act this way um, well, what's weird about it is it, it i mean knowing schumacher's films prior to this one it doesn't really seem like his style to be honest with you i mean even the more pulpy stuff that he had done prior to this like even look at the lost boys it's very serious uh very stylized but he doesn't i think really what he was trying to do he grew up on the 1960s television series and i think there are moments in this film where he interjects that love and homages to it oh 100 percent yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's one of those things that immediately screams. I mean, but is there a clash between the '60s Batman television series and Burton's aesthetic? Which, well, one hundred percent. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's definitely. my point. That's my point. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, there there are moments, especially later on in the film, there's a flashback sequence with young Bruce and um, there's moody lighting. It's very compelling. And that would be uh, much better suited in something like the Tim Burton Batman movies. But you get like, I don't know, you get brief flashes of the movie that they intended to make um, that remained from a script or a longer cut or whatever. Um, and I think if you just took out the really cheesy, really cringe-inducing lines, it would improve the movie overall. Um, but for the most part, I think Forever is successful in in a, being a bridge to from the Burton films to something a little bit more camp, a little bit more... Um, I think the thing it does most successfully, and I think it's why it's successful enough, is because it's paced incredibly well. It's very punchy. It basically just keeps moving quick 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 like it doesn't dwell it doesn't like it, it just it's kind of just punching from either one gag setup to the next or one action sequence to the next or both you know it's really not there's no lulls in the movie i wouldn't i wouldn't say there's any real lull in the movie where i'm where i'm bored with it necessarily there are parts of the movie i dislike immensely but you know we'll get there as we kind of continue on with the review but it doesn't it doesn't waste screen time. I don't think I, I, I think it, it, it very much uses its time ex- extremely, extremely well. And I mean, the, the movie, even, even if you take out some of those elements, I mean, the movie is extremely loud visually. It's there, there's a lot going on. <laughs> there's so much going on. Like your eyes are so busy moving around the screen the whole time. You can't possibly be bored because I mean, there's probably still things you could watch the movie again for the hundredth time today and like see things you'd never Nick, seen it's before. Funny you're mentioning that. Cause that's, that's literally what I did tonight. I mean, since last, Last year, when Warner Brothers released all of the first four Batman movies oh, on 4K, no, I mean, listen, that's what you do when you analyze something when you're given better resolution and you can watch the movie in the best possible quality. Um, you were supposed to come over and watch it in that quality, so don't give me any shit about that. Um, but no, you do notice immediately Gotham. It still has a gothic edge to it, but it's literally drenched in neon everywhere the opening of the movie gives you a different taste of something else it looks like tokyo um they they're shoving in your face this is different from that don't think of that this is something completely brand new something more heroic and i understand joel schumacher's original idea i want to make the first live action comic strip i want to make the first live action and what a lot of them were saying like tommy lee jones kept saying a cartoon movie you know, make those colors that would be on the page or on your Saturday morning cartoons come to life in the movie. And with this 4K version with a higher resolution, it definitely shines more than it ever has before, probably other than seeing it in theaters for the first time. It is gorgeous to look at. I don't think that the colors are overpowering. I think it literally looks like a live action comic book. I mean, to the fullest extent. Yeah, and let's let's talk about the visual look of this film because I think uh, the look of Gotham City itself is pretty outstanding. I think it does a good job of balancing the kind of the Art Deco style as seen in the Burton films, and as you said, Justin, just kind of like this uh, live action comic book aesthetic. Uh, Barbara Ling, the production designer. I mean, kudos to her. I, I think a lot of the sweeping shots of the cityscapes that we see in the establishing shots, even though the CGI is quite dated but even like the intricate 
the intricate sets, like the sets in this thing are very, very impressive. Um, I do think that certain scenes go a little bit overboard. Like they're, they, a lot of them look like they're shot in like a disco. Uh, the Riddler's lair at, later on in the movie has just like searchlights randomly, like green neon searchlights. And I'm like, did, did he install searchlights in, in his, uh, in his hideout? It's a little bizarre we'll, we'll um, and unnecessary. Um, it, so it seems like they were trying very hard to make it look like a comic book splash page. And it comes across maybe a little bit artificially, but overall, I mean, the visual look to the film is and very impressive. A lot of the problems I have with people's criticisms of the film now, and I'll throw this out there now, Nick, and I'm pretty sure you can back me up on this. When this movie came out, no one was talking shit about it. No one was like that movie. Not that I remember it wasn't a failure. It was a huge box office success. I remember all the kids coming out of the theater, the times that I saw it, really excited, wearing the shirts, buying the merchandise, going to McDonald's like I did to get the glasses and everything, which, by the way, I'm sipping the rest of my vodka out of my Riddler, <laughs> my vintage McDonald's Riddler crystal glass that McDonald's, they don't do these anymore. They they should. Um, but you know what? Like Back then, it wasn't that kind of thing. It wasn't like you came back to school the following year. In my case, it was sixth grade, and people weren't like, that movie fucking sucked. Everyone liked it. It's it's now that they've had all these years to kind of look back at it. It's it's like a redheaded stepchild, if you will, of the Batman movies. It's not Batman and Robin, so it doesn't immediately get, you know, thrown in the trash, but it's it's that it's that one that didn't necessarily hit the mark. But at the time, when you look at that movie compared to everything else that was coming out, it was visually exciting. It was a spectacle. There was nothing else like it on the screen at all. And I think that's what really set it apart from everything we had seen before it. So it, it is special. It is there at times. It is garish. It is over the top. But I think that's the point. They wanted to get your attention to be like, this is something new. This is something special. Yeah, and I mean, we've got so much more to unpack on this film, gentlemen. So, so much more. So we are going to run over into a break we're going to spin some efg history for you guys and then when we come back we've got so we've got to talk about all of the performances in this film so 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 much more to unpack so do not go anywhere very punctual even for his own funeral boys kill the bat this week in epic film history Never be sorry on the Epic Film Guys podcast. Never be sorry. C- cut in, talk over. I'm sorry every time I finish up. doing an episode. <laughs> Me too. I'm sorry that I have to talk to you every day, Nick. <laughs> what do you have guzzling down your gullet this evening, my friend? Well, if you remember last week, I mentioned that I had some salted caramel porter from Southern oh, Tier. Oh, God. Yeah, that's right. I took some of those Brax caramels, the little squares you can get, and I opened up a can of Miller Lite and I threw them in there before you even say I knew it. it. I knew it. Hey, buddy, you going to eat that sausage? Nobody is, huh? Help yourself. I guess not. And how do you fit a cake into a man's ass, Justin? Yeah, we but have yeah, to keep. We so- have to only use fuck ten times <laughs> per episode now. 
We really got to choose well, our fucks carefully, and I just wasted two of them. Well, I, honestly, with you, Nick, uh, I could count 50-plus fucks every fucking episode, every fucking time you say fuck. Um, I'm just done caring about saying fuck in every fucking episode, because you say it so many fucking times, I'm just, I'm fucking astounded. <laughs> fuck saying, worrying about saying fuck in a podcast. The rest of them. I'm no. totally thinking of wanting the Hulk's pee-pee up my butthole. I don't know why. I just keep thinking of that. I don't know why. Or maybe one of those orky things, orca. Are you guys talking about some kind of whale on the show? You keep, kept, you guys keep saying like orc something. What we is that? We went and saw Free Free Willy Craft was the name of the film. It was uh, all the orcas really move out of the ocean and try to take over the land because the ocean's being destroyed. Oh my god! I Actually, like that film probably would have made Willy. more sense than the plot of Warcraft. <laughs> If there was, like, a modern reboot or remake of Free Willy with, like, an all-CGI orca, I would love it. It'd be so cool that I could picture myself riding on its back with a saddle and sparkles flying in the air with a rainbow behind it. I totally would love to do that. That'd be awesome. I think film guy is the flamethrower. The kids love this one. Just whatever you're going to do, send us a picture. Make sure to send it to we us have on little social epic media. Film guy's breakfast cereal and then... It comes with lisp penis marshmallows, and then you have to fuck the little O's that come in the cereal. Never mind. <laughs> it should, it should, well, we should be we, like there should be like quarters too for uh, that hope hobo person. Hopester. Hopester. Yeah. Well, you know where the milk comes from in the cereal. <laughs> oh, that's a little bit too X-rated for our show, Brian. Gee whiz! And I thought you were a clean young man here. I, I wow. forgot this was a family-friendly podcast. He's another year We're older. Fi- He's all all bets are off now. Someone tell the fat lady she's on in five. Thank you for sticking with us, film fans, for our full-length retrospective on Joel Schumacher's Batman Forever. We touched on quite a bit of our thoughts on the film in the first segment. But now we're going to jump on forward to one of the most important and diverse things about the film. It's cast and characters. And I got to start with you, Loisos. Got to throw it to you. So without getting too crass about it, watching these movies as a prepubescent boy, discovering my sexuality... The trifecta of of Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin were instrumental in making my pee-pee feel funny. (laughs) Okay, okay, but I gotta know, though. (laughs) I have to know. Can't do that to me when I got a drink in my mouth. Was it Nicole Kidman's cleavage, or was it Jim Carrey's super tight package in that green leotard? Which was it, though? I firmly believe that these films made me the bisexual I am today. Was it the submit, nips on the bat suit? I will submit it was, in fact, it was Chris O'Donnell in the Flying Grayson scene because, man alive, there's got to be a fucking whole, like, foot long and a half kielbasa stuff down there or something. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. I don't know what the hell he's packing in there, but. Like he leaned back These, to like grab the the this the trapeze swing or something and it's like a fucking other leg sprouted off. <laughs> God damn. These films are are oozing, throbbing, dripping with sex appeal. Um Thank you. not only not only because of the inherent mystique 
and the male power fantasy of the character of Batman, but because they casted the most attractive people they possibly could put on a marquee and dressed them in leather and tights and a you know a skimpy dress, everyone in this movie, save for you know Tommy Lee Jones, everyone in this movie is hot. Val Kilmer's hot. Jim Carrey's hot. Nicole Kidman's hot. Chris O'Donnell's hot. Michael Goff is hot. He is. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding. So, okay. The success of these films, in my opinion, despite, I mean, other than the fact that they're big popcorn entertainment, comes down to the names they put on the marquee in terms of star value and also attractiveness. These people are good to look at. So, that aside, we have to talk about the caped crusader himself. So we have to, yeah, we when have to I thought we were going to talk about the scene of Chase Meridian lying in bed with a bed sheet on her and the winds like rippling and everything and that thing's like and nice and form fitted to her. You can see your nipples through the, you Just know, listen. the sheets. Anyway, so moving that aside, um, hmm. that aside. Um, I'm pour this so, water over my head, cool myself. <laughs> so when Burton left uh, the director's chair, uh, Michael Keaton also left the project. Uh, so that kind of forced the filmmakers to have to search for a new actor who's going to be the next Batman. And they chose Val Kilmer. Now, I've never found Val Kilmer to be a great actor. He's given some fine performances in films such as Tombstone and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I've also seen him in films in which he's awful. Um, here, I think he gives a really valiant effort as Batman. He doesn't have quite the magnetism or the kind of animalistic quality that Michael Keaton brought to the role, but he looks amazing in the cowl. And he, I think he more than holds his own in the dramatic scenes, portraying perhaps a more sensitive Bruce Wayne than we've seen before. But gentlemen, what do you think about Val Kilmer as Batman? Well, I'll talk forever. So, well, ha ha. Batman forever. Uh, so Nick, oh. you do that one more time. We're kicking you off the fucking call. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> I'll just How text you guys. You, a bu- sir. I'll just text you guys a bunch of question marks. That's probably probably will. Um, I will say I like you know the scenes where they dig into you know dip into the backstory with you know him as Bruce Wayne and like the relationship with he and Chase Meridian as Bruce Wayne. I like him as Bruce Wayne. I fucking hate him as Batman. He's god awful terrible what he's no. horrible all of his line no. delivery is so flat it's so like it doesn't have i mean it especially when you're comparing it to keaton but i mean even like even compared to clooney who's basically just lobbing up no. softballs and knocking him out of the park like the, the the difference the difference being is that we talked about the tone of this film in the first segment when we talked about how much fun and how, how cartoonish how garish how it's a live action comic strip it really wants to be a live action cartoon live action comic strip kilmer is completely at odds with that kilmer's playing the the batman role like so flat like there's no energy to his performance as Batman. I do like the stuff as Bruce Wayne. I think he does some good stuff as Bruce Wayne. As Batman, it's it's he's like literally the fucking and, and maybe maybe it's also because his villains are probably the most garish ever in a Batman film. Both of them combined, like it maybe he just appears that way by comparison, but I think he's so flat and like just like I just like Keaton brought so much more depth to it and Keaton brought so much more 
watchability to the role like Kilmer almost just seems like you could have filled anybody in that suit and had him given that same bland performance like it's just it's just not inspired like it's like he didn't try it's like he didn't care and we know that he wasn't really a fucking peach or anything like that on set so you know it's no he wasn't it's 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 just it feels like to me like it was just Maybe it was just a paycheck movie for him. Maybe he just wanted the paycheck and and the notoriety or whatever. That, I don't know. Justin, you talk because I just I don't like him as Batman. I don't think he, he's worse on. He's worse than Clooney. He's the worst on screen Batman we've ever had by <laughs> <Wow>. far. <laughs> Those are strong words. And I didn't know you felt that way. See, I, I go back and forth on how I feel about him as Batman. When I was a kid, I definitely thought he looked great in the suit. Um, we had a guy that finally was... It, I, the way that you thought of Batman from the comics, he's over six foot tall. He's a tall guy. He's very attractive. He does look um, great in the suit. I, w- I won't take he, away how good he looks in the suit. But um, Michael Keaton himself said about turning down Batman forever to lighten up and brighten it up and be a cartoon was of no interest to me. Um, he was offered a lot. And I mean, a lot of money to continue on as Batman after Burton's exit. Um, And I want to make this clear here during this discussion. Burton didn't leave because he wanted to. After Returns came out, he went to a couple of meetings, and in those meetings, he expressed his excitement on the the solo Catwoman project that was supposed to involve Michelle Pfeiffer and what he thought he could do with a third film, which was definitely going to involve Robin Williams as the Riddler. That was like basically set in stone with his version of the movie that they were going to make. Brad Dourif as the Scarecrow. That's right. Keaton was still set to play Batman after Burton left. He was just battling back and forth. He had a couple meetings with Joel Schumacher. There's set photos of the suit being sculpted with Keaton's life cast, his head on it. So it was really last minute. Kilmer got a call while he was researching another role in Africa to get asked to play Batman via cell phone call. He was in a bat cave, literally, when he got the call. What are the, the odds of that? He gets the role, and to piggyback off what Nick was saying, I, th- I just think it was lack of time to prepare. I think what he did, because he admitted in interviews and in press interviews, you know, when the film came out, that he didn't know anything about Batman. He didn't read the comics. He never watched the t- television series. So what he knew of the character was from the movie. So what I think he did is he went home after he took the role, watched the first two movies and said, I'll just talk like this. Yeah, it's and a very, it, it, it's, for Batman, it feels like it's him trying to channel Keaton, but not. It, it 100%. It, it, it feels totally ajar from, from the rest of the film because the rest of the film is so ridiculously like loud and cartoon except for there's a couple elements in the film i want to talk about that aren't but yeah but I, I, mean, I think he's at odds with those I, I, he looks like a deer in headlights half of the time he's on fucking screen like i just it just doesn't the performance just doesn't gel for me it's it's just not there like he's he not just menacing feel invested yeah, in he, the role he's not menacing he's not physical enough with it either um keaton could stand there in the suit and look at look at you down a dark alleyway just with his eyes and you're like oh shit this is scary um but I do agree with you. I think his Bruce Wayne is very, very good. I think I like he was his Bruce. Yeah, he he brings a lot of nuance to that performance and that role, and and, and gives us a different side. I think they give um, more like comparing it to to Keaton, obviously, which came before. I think they give uh, Kilmer's bruce wayne almost a little more to do in terms of range 100 well, than they we ever get to gave see him Keaton. out Keaton, yeah we get to see him out in public really is... gave his bruce wayne any i mean they gave him romantic stuff obviously with 
Vicky Vale and then obviously Selena Kyle, but like you never got to see a lot of like real dramatic kind of depth with 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 him because it just never it just it wasn't written there. It well, just well, never I mean, gave it to him. in eighty nine, he's at his own charity function at Wayne Manor, but no one's talking to him. No one even seems to know who he is. No. Um, in this movie, he's actually at the Enigma Tech release party. And he, he's playing it up. He's playing oh, a billionaire. There's Bruce Wayne. Brucey. Brucey. Bob Kane's fucking wife in that movie. Oh, Gossip Jesus Gertie. God Jesus Christ. Had to show her face. But um, and on set, Bob Kane was said to his favorite Batman portrayal up till his death was Val Kilmer. So weird. Not not strange though, considering you didn't really create the character, Bob. Bill Finger did. But but no, I, I 100% agree with you. And that, I like the Bruce Wayne side of the movie that we get a lot more nuance. There's a lot of character stuff there, which would have there would have been a lot more of had they not changed the script and removed those deleted scenes. But Loisos, we got to get to you how you feel overall about his Batman. Well, I've already just I've already kind of talked about it. I mean, I think he looks good in the suit. Um, I think. There are moments where he kicks ass, like when you see Batman. There's there's and a singular shot of Batman leaping out of the fire in that oh, one dude. scene. Oh, that, that's one that's, of my favorite shots of Batman in any movie. One hundred percent. That I, you took the words right out of my mouth. That'll be at the, at the you know final thought section because there are what I call goosebump inducing moments in this movie. They definitely have a few, and they involve his Batman. So yes, but we, I think we need to move along. So that giant green thing with question marks all over it in the room Boy because sauce? it is it is the most he doesn't usually dress like this for recordings guys i think he just did it for tonight i wore that costume that year for halloween i got made fun of in school <laughs> oh <laughs> but i definitely did i didn't give a shit but, but jim carrey i mean this is post ace ventura post dumb and dumber he had just done the mask this is Carrie at the absolute height of his popularity and power. So, I mean, legitimately, you can and almost argue this is a Jim Carrey movie more than it's a Batman movie in some regards. He's in his prime and he's so on fire that he does overshadow a lot of the proceedings. He's flamboyant. It's kind of it kind of reminds me. I'm a big fan of this movie of Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events and his role as Count Olaf in that movie playing a villain. He's flamboyant on one side of the coin, if you forgive the expression. And on the other, he turns menacing on a dime. Yep. So you never really know what he's going to do. He's very unpredictable. And that's what makes him a perfect villain, in my opinion. I think if you had, well, and we'll get to this, but if you had Carrie doing exactly what he's doing in this movie, riffing, just like feeding off of his own comic energy and having uh, kind of a foil to that with your other villain, I think that could have made for an, a very effective, uh, you know, villainous duo. Uh but yeah, I mean, Carrie's just on fire in this movie. He's hilarious. And his you can, you can tell a lot of it is just improv, him just doing what he does. Uh, but um, it, it's an amazing performance. 100%. I mean, it's it's one of the most memorable comic book movie performances of all time, I think. And I think, I think it gets, again, another thing that happens with this movie. People look back on it 25 years later, 20 years later, whenever this movie sucks, just Jim Carrey movie. But I'm like, you have to think back to when 
within the context of when it was made, when it was released, this movie did do well because it was a Jim Carrey movie. Oh, because easily. That easily. Riddler stuff was the same way that the Joker stuff was everywhere in 89. The Riddler stuff was literally everywhere. And this movie would not have been nearly as big without Carrey. And I think we all enjoy his performance in this movie. He does chew up way more screen time than he probably should. And the movie's way more about the Riddler than it is Batman. So a common complaint within comic book movie fans, but he's amazing in the movie. You can make that argument about, you can make that argument. I'm sorry. I'm just saying this was typical of the entire Burton Schumacher era, though. The the villains always got more to chew on. The villains always got more screen time than the Batman did. The Batman always got the short end of the stick. It wasn't until Nolan came along and really focused on Batman as a character that we really got the kind of depth that Batman as a character deserves. You, You can't go into any of these films expecting a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of super depth or anything from the Batman role because it like like seriously like they went out and. In, in this kind of film, and they did the same thing for Batman and Robin as well, but where they literally wanted the biggest stars, period, to be in these movies, no matter what, because they wanted those names up on the marquee. They wanted this, well, like exactly. said, this was Jim Carrey in the mid 90s. Yeah. You did not get bigger as a movie star than Jim Carrey in the mid 90s. Everybody wanted him. Everybody wanted to be him. Everybody was running around quoting fucking Ace Ventura, like talking with their ass and everything. Like legitimately, everybody fucking knew who he was. Like it was like probably boosted the box off of this box office of this film by like who knows how huge well, of a percentage. And he had so many hits leading up to it. I was talking yeah. uh, pre-show with Voice House about him. this and, and how they cast movies back then. It's true. They wanted to put up every single name they could on a marquee. In this case, those character posters, which have become iconic. When you could put on every single street corner at every single bus stop, every single billboard, a different character poster of a different actor in this movie and they're all playing a huge character and they're all a big star or a heartthrob you got a big movie set out for you but unfortunately even though up until this point he was an amazing actor he's still an amazing actor this may be one of his worst performances ever um that's tommy lee jones's two-face who took the role because his son is a huge batman fan when the project came up he was not interested in this kind of thing just looking at Tommy Lee Jones's face, I'm sure you can get the expression right from that image in your head. How would he ever decide to be in a Batman movie? And he did it. And he did it wrong. He played the character wrong. I don't know if it's just based on what was on the page, but that's well, see, he's not too I have he's two not two faced in this movie. It. I have two different feelings about it. And I don't know if it was a if it was a performance choice or if it was a directing choice, if he was directed that way. I don't know that, but I think that his character is the best written character in the film. Just what? in terms just in terms of I mean, look like legitimately, think of how ruthlessly aggressive he is at going after Batman. Most of the action set pieces in this movie, what are they? They're legitimately him just trying to fucking just trying murder to Batman. Kill Batman. And like yeah. he, he like true. he literally is pulling out all sorts of weapons, fucking missile launchers, grenade launchers, like machine guns. Like he's literally doing and throwing everything he possibly can at trying to kill Boiling Batman again acid. and again and again and again. Yes, his performance is ridiculously over the top. I mean, well, I'm not defending his dialogue choices mainly or you know the dialogue that the character has or how the character is played like if you want to get into the comic nuance of it like or even like the split personality schizophrenia thing like none of it is even remotely close like 
there's no split personality. He's no. just ma- he's just there's, maniacal. There's only a, yeah, there's only a few maniacal. scenes where like, that happens. I mean, he's yeah. he's sitting there like it, it flies in the face of the two face character. Like the whole point is supposed to be the coin flip is what decides everything. Not I'm going to flip the coin until it makes the choice that I want it to make because <laughs> like whatever. Like so yes, no, I can shoot Bruce in Wayne. those regards. Yes. All that is bad, and like I said, I think the performance is ridiculous. It's he's trying to out carry Carrie in a Carrie movie, essentially. Which I don't so, know, like I said, if that was his choice or if that was a directing choice or whatever the case may be. But I think in just in terms of the villain, if you just take the villain, leave the performance out of it for a moment, he really fucking goes like hardcore after Batman. Like he has some right nice setups like where he's trying to set up batman as a character and trap him and kill him and like legitimately he goes after him guns fucking blazing like even rewatching it like i just appreciated it so much more watching it today how fucking ruthlessly like angry and aggressive the character is going after batman performance aside like whatever you want to say about it but he is fucking like bloodthirsty wanting to kill Batman. that character the way that you're putting it perfectly so nick thank you um that's also what's adding to the level of darkness that is still present in this movie. Yes. Because without this character, I mean, Edward Nigma, aka the Riddler in this movie, he just wants to become the smartest carbon-based life form yeah. in Gotham. He just wants to know everything he can know. He doesn't really seem to be all that after he beats Bruce Wayne in his own game, he doesn't seem all that interested in taking out Batman at all. Batman's not really even in his way. Batman is in Two-Face's way. He's using Two-Face as a ploy to get what he wants. Halfway through the movie, he's already got what he wants. So Two-Face is still out for blood. And I I, I do appreciate that aspect of the character. Um, I'd love to know. I'd love to know whose choice it was to have this character be played this way. And then you could, like I said, you get into the writing of the character of Two-Face, like the fact that like he's supposed to all be about the coin flip and like the split personality, but you're right. Loisos, this character has one speed. He's a fucking maniacal psychopath. And like, it doesn't, the coin flip is meaningless because he will just keep flipping it until it he's gives him the decision villain. that he wants. I mean, he literally is playing it. Like, like he said, this is, in interviews, when you watch press for the movie, when it came out, he said, this is a cartoon movie. Yeah. And he kept saying that. And that's how he played that's it. He literally was how watching he plays like, it, yeah. like fucking car- Saturday morning cartoons. I'm going to play it like but that. He has that's the that's best, how he did it. He has the best and, and darkest undercurrent in the movie. And like you, you think of theme, like I think the best scene in this movie still, and we'll talk about him, obviously, but I still think the the, the circus is the best scene in this movie when Dick Grayson's parents get killed. Like that's some fucking dark shit. Like that's like. That still yeah. hits like when you watch that scene, like there's still some good emotion. Very there emotional. That, you, very, that you're very pulling out, scene. like even though he's ridiculous and over the top, like I said, that character, like when you think about a villain and like I said, take the performance out of it for a minute. But when you think about a villain, like in terms of villain writing, this is the way you want to make a villain to really pump up your hero because he's so fucking he's murdering people left and right. These guns blazing, trying to blow him up, kill him, shoot him, whatever the hell it is. That's how you write a villain. You give that villain screen time and you make that villain such a bastard, such an asshole. And and I got to give him credit, though, because this movie really is the Riddler show. We get a Riddler origin story here. This movie starts out. Two-Face is already an established character. He's on the loose. You don't really need much backstory. The backstory we get for his origin is literally Bruce Wayne watching GNN news. It looks like it. In a morning. And it's like Batman's there during the daylight. 
uh, for some reason it, at a court hearing, and that's yeah, how he got scarred. He was going to use video clip, he tried to save him. Uh, I, I think that's one of the biggest missed opportunities of this movie, and something they could have focused on. Is but there's, is, there's no time though. I know there's no time. It's but, also like, really it, poorly shot because the acid just clearly splashes all over his face, and then it cuts to a shot of the folder over one side of his face that's like all melted. It's like what the fuck? And, you, and know I what say, did? you know what they did? They took 90 seconds during a lunch break to shoot that. Pretty much they did, and you know. A lot of people have come out against the design of the character. Two-Face should never have had a purple face or that color, but this was the mid-90s. This movie was definitely swaying towards the MTV generation. It was trying really hard to do that, to be hip and cool. And I got to give a shout out to effects makeup maestro and God, Rick Baker, for doing the makeup on this job. I'm sure he approached this. With a much more gruesome, disgusting-looking idea, um, but they're like, nope, just it's got to be purple. That side of him is going to be purple tiger stripe, so make it purple. And when you watch the 4K, yes, I'm going to say it again, the detail you'll actually see with the veins, the purple veins going up on, uh, it, it, it's really well done. It's not Two Face. It's more Joker than Two Face, but it he is well look, done for he, what it is. He doesn't look like a burn victim. He looks like a Mighty no, he Morphin Power all. Rangers and, villain. And, and they they would have never done that back in 1995, no matter what. So a Burton would have done it for sure, and it would have sure. been rated R, and it, the Warner Brothers would have never released it. So moving on though from Two Face, well, I think I just want to say something real quick. Um, I touched upon it earlier, but I think it just would have been the perfect foil to Carrie's hyperactivity if we had a calculating, measured sinister villain yeah as opposed to what we got i think tommy lee jones performance hurts the movie and i think it would have been totally on par with what kilmer does as batman as well and i think Absolutely. it maybe would have made everything gel a little bit more in that regard to have if you only have carrie being kind of the outlandish one then you know it, it, you know it would create a tonal shift in the movie but like i that's why i can't fault jones for it completely i agree with you i think his performance hurts the movie in terms of like the movie's tone like his scenes he's so over the top he's chewing so much fucking scenery he's practically choking on it in most of the scenes literally in some scenes literally yeah, like he's like literally like cackling and doubling over and it's so it's baffling to me but i I have to believe that it it wasn't just him i have to believe that he was also directed that well he also hated jim carrey this this much has been released this information is known in 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 the the underbelly of the behind the scenes that i guess during in between a take he literally turned to jim carrey and was like I don't like any of your movies or I don't like your fans. <laughs> I, can, that, that, I, I cannot uh, I cannot abide your buffoonery or whatever. That's, that's, one, that's 100% the kind of dude that he is. He's intimidating. A lot of people have said throughout the years being in movies with him, he's very intimidating. And again, he took the role because his kid wanted him to. He did what he thought he was supposed to do. Imagine him still in the role, playing it straight. In the darkness, flipping the It'd coin. It'd be perfect. It'd be fucking It'd be perfect. amazing. And it, it would be the perfect foil, but that's not what we got. So moving along, I think the next character we have to touch on, because this was his first time in a big screen movie, not counting the 66 movie based on the television series, but Robin. And when, when the film got announced and it was announced that Chris O'Donnell was going to be taking on the role, a lot of fans were upset. They're like, he's not 
a 14 year old kid. Uh, he's a teen heartthrob. <laughs> but you know well, what? He wasn't a teen heartthrob. He was 25 years old. And but, I think but he's, playing, Donald, a part of the he's playing a teen, though. I, lo- I love every time that that scene comes up where he shows up at Wayne Manor. Every single time he's like, it's good of you to take him in. He doesn't have anybody. I'm like, he looks like he's like middle aged. Like, what the fuck do you need? Bruce Wayne should have just him gotten for? him an apartment. Or something like I don't know. I don't know why they didn't cast someone a little bit more believably younger because it doesn't. I disagree with the believably part. I think had them had they put a young kid in there, it wouldn't have been believable at all. Number one, number two, they were most certainly going for the MTV generation here with this movie. And Chris O'Donnell was very hot in his career at that point, and they wanted that teen heartthrob vibe with the movie. They were already going with attractive people for every other generation that would be watching the movie. And I think I perfectly, I think it fits perfectly. And I, and I'm actually, I took a lot of time to think about this. I remember hearing Kevin Smith's commentary on the film, like a few years back when he did it. And I totally disagree with his assessment. I get as a comic book fan, you're like, Oh, Robin, Robin's supposed to be 14. Dude, that's fucking weird. It's weird. A little kid up there in danger and Batman actually putting him in danger and having a kid that small and that little in a, that suit on the top of the building. And if he falls, he's dead. You know, it's like I, I agree with you. I don't think he should be a 14 year old kid, but like it, it's it's just a little bit odd to me when you have a 25 year old man showing up and, and Bruce Wayne taking him in because he has no family. Well, he's, I mean, again. I, He's supposed to be a teen in the movie, though, okay. he, whether he looks it or not. Now, originally, Marlon Wayans was cast and paid to be Dick Grayson slash Robin in Batman Returns. That happened. He never shot anything. So he got a contract. He got paid out. I forgot how many hundred thousand dollars. He mentioned it on like a a Leno interview or something. He got paid out. They paid out his contract, the same as Billy D. Williams when they chose to recast the roles for the (sighs) movie. I really wish we could have gotten that movie. But but yeah, Marlon Wayans was originally cast. And after they were going to recast... A few of the names that popped Shed up were interesting. Light of the law on that nest of nest vipers. Of vipers. <laughs> um, DiCaprio was outright <laughs> offered the role and turned it down. That would have been interesting because he, at that point, still looked really young. But I think to get I to think the O'Donnell, point, I was going to say I like him in the movie. No, he's very good. And I think when people shit on Chris O'Donnell, they're talking about his performance in Batman and Robin, which he did the best that he could in Batman and Robin with god-awful material but in this movie he's very good and i think the writing of the robin character and the way they integrate him with batman's story because batman and robin are basically like mirror images of each other in this movie um both of their parents die uh tragically both of them are consumed with revenge and um the way they build up robin's character of him wanting uh to to suit up and become a hero and take vengeance and initially it's to take vengeance but it, ultimately um it's kind of uh, to become a hero like batman so i think the two complement each other very well and yeah i i i'm a i'm a fan of the way robin's written in this movie and the way he's performed i love the way robin's the written part. in this movie to even to even take it one step further i i really wish there's a couple throwaway scenes in this movie that i really really hate that involve batman and robin though the laundry, the memorable. Well, I laundry hate the fucking scene. laundry scene. The laundry scene is terrible. <laughs> it, it, it's it, again, it's just dumb stuff to look cool for kids. That's all it's meant to be. But that's exactly what it is. There's really one scene in this movie that I really, really, really fucking hate. And and when I got to the scene in this movie, I audibly groaned when I was watching it today. And it's the scene where so after the big Nigma Tech party, 
and Batman falls down into the pit and then has that fireproof cape thing or whatever. The shot you were talking about, that really great shot of him coming out of the fire and then Two-Face fires that fucking grenade launcher because he's just so frustrated that he just won't die. Uh, launch the fucking projectile at him, you fucking idiot. But, you know, like... the yeah, Don't shoot thing. underneath him. Actually shoot him in he the chest. He gets buried in sand or whatever. <laughs> and then Robin, it's literally the only thing that Robin does. And I have to believe that there was more stuff either written or or shot that got deleted or whatever that, that Robin does. But literally the only shot in the movie is Robin like saves him and then it cuts to the Batcave and Batman's like, what the hell did you think you were doing? I'm like... All he did was fucking save your life, you fuck. It's the most, it's most out there fucking ridiculous scene in the fucking movie. I hate it. Every time I'm like, really? I really oh, like that scene. It's fucking I like terrible. that scene a lot. You know what part I like is when uh, uh, Alfred is going. You can see Jim Carrey's balls. Well, that. And also the part where <laughs> Alfred is going into uh, the entrance to the Batcave, that, that one room. All the, the fucking the, the the trapeze yeah. bullshit when he fucking swings down from like the top floor of the fucking mansion. That is the slowest closing door yes, of it is. all time. Why would Alfred How... not get inside the door and just also, fucking close it himself? That's also the lamest entrance to a bat cave ever. It's literally just a fucking curio cabinet that you slide open and you walk downstairs it's nothing <laughs> intricate it's nothing technologically savvy you see the whole rest of the movie you see bruce wayne at wayne enterprises he has a chair when he says chair a hole opens up underneath it and it shoots him down and like 200 miles per hour shoots him into the bat cave from wayne enterprises but yet the entrance within wayne manor to the bat cave is a fucking curio cabinet that it's a it's a flipping door yeah Makes no sense. They or, only did it that or, way so that he could kick his way in there. Exactly. Exactly. But I do so, like that scene. I, I'm sorry to keep going on that, but I just want to say, I think from the audience perspective, you're seeing that through Robin's eyes or Dick Grayson's eyes. And as a kid, that was an exciting feeling. Like, what would it feel like to come upon the Batcave? Like when he rolls down the stairs, his eyes go wide and you hear everything turning on. Yeah, all that the scene sounds. is great once he gets into the Batcave. It's just the setup yeah. for that, getting him into the Batcave, which is terrible. I know, I understand. It, just, it, it wanted to show hey, look how acrobatic like, he is. You have well, yeah, he's acrobatic, but then I, I also love, you know, when, when he randomly decides to steal the Batmobile for whatever reason, and then he drives it out into, like, this fucking gang territory, and he's like, why is he like all, an expert martial artist all of a sudden? Like, it's like it, it just... Well, he steals the Batmobile because, because like, wouldn't you steal the Batmobile? Like, well, I would probably steal it, too. But I know a lot of people love, like, the Neon Gang and, like, all that kind of stuff. And it's a cool looking scene, but I fucking, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the scene itself. Like, it's just, it's, like, yeah, it's to show that never kiss the girl. But I love yeah, that. I love it's the to scene show of that him, Robin's like, kind of reckless and he's going to do yeah, his own thing. He's reckless, but he also is, like, a fucking ninja master, just like Batman. And then, like, I love the, the yeah. like, the, the finale of that scene when Batman shows up and, like, Robin attacks him and, like, blames him for the death of his parents because he didn't reveal himself at the circus. Like, I love that. That's a great moment, but you could have moved that moment elsewhere. Like as cool looking as that scene is, it's 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 also yeah, that fucking scene. Like, doesn't Batman ever kiss the girl? Holy fuck! I wanted to close my laptop and turn the movie off again. I was like, again, fuck you, movie. Again, that's the MTV generations that that's that they're pumping that in there for Dude, them, and it 15. worked well. I was fifteen years old when this fucking movie came out. I was I, the MTV generation when this fucking movie came out. That's what I'm saying, man. <laughs> they used to play that that TV spot on MTV every fucking day, and I guarantee you. You know, kids were going to see that for the, but the end of that scene though, it's also one of the coolest, most heroic scenes. 
of Batman in the entire movie, the way that Kilmer swoops down and he swoops around with his cape like this and he stands there. He has the stance. He has the look. He has the presence in that scene. I just I love that part of it. But, but um, we wouldn't want to give the audience the impression that Batman and Robin are gay. So you have to introduce a lady love interest. And so we have Nicole Kidman as Dr. Chase Meridian. Uh, she's also in the movie. That's her one purpose. So the audience is like, okay, Batman and Robin, not gay. Got it. You also have her character conveniently be a psychologist for exposition purposes. So she and uh, Bruce Wayne can talk about the fact that Bruce Wayne is extremely troubled and he had a tragic past. So you get all that information through the psychologist character. Um, So I would love to know your opinion, gentlemen, of Nicole Kidman's performance in this in this movie. Um, I find her incredibly alluring thirsty? and sexy. Thirsty. Yes. Well, certainly so. Like certainly she's like thirsty. practically moaning when she is talking to Batman. Legitimately, in that first she's scene. she's practically having an orgasm every time she sees Batman in the movie. The first time she sees him, dude, when he flies in, hot entrance. She's already, <laughs> dude, she's, ooh, Negging. you are yeah. interesting. The way she's looking at him, she's literally got fuck me eyes the second she sees the guy in like, the suit. I love, I love Nicole Kidman so much. She is unbelievably gorgeous anyway. And then in this movie is like, they dressed her in all of the exact right outfits. The, here's the, here's, I said earlier when I said that I thought that Two-Face's character was the best written character in the film. I think that hers is the fact that she's basically just a, a love interest in like a sex toy, notwithstanding she's the worst written character in the movie. She just randomly gets shoehorned into like, why does Bruce Wayne go to her office? Why does Bruce Wayne have an appointment with her? It doesn't make sense, but it's because Nicole Kidman's in the movie as the character and you have to, well, she has her to be in, in there. The Nick. She has to be in there. And that, that's why I think she's the most pointless character here. Yeah, she's absolutely the movie completely pointless to this movie. She means she nothing except for she's a, she's a, she's a that's really right. hot, set of tits and a sweater you know and and it's in for nicole it's unfortunate, Kidman, but who is a world-class actress and who is absolutely like impeccably talented probably could act circles around anybody else in this movie like for her to be reduced to this role i mean she looks great i'm, I'm a man like it does it for me but it's it's she's so worthless to the movie and then like a the lot movie. of the scenes she's in are worthless to the movie again i like she shows up because she's a psychologist she's there consulting on the two-face case to help with you know the investigation with two-face to do all that nonsense and could we please later talk about how worthless the fucking police are in this movie but that notwithstanding like her character then all of a sudden for no reason bruce wayne has an appointment with her why because well reasons there, there are reasons why. No, there's no because, fucking reason why. It's because, well, it's it's because, because w- Nicole he, Kidman's in the fucking movie and they have to include well, that, her. Well, yes, that, Nick. But I'm saying when he met her as Batman. Because they want to create the love he's triangle. Obviously, he's obviously interested in her. So that's why he's like, yeah, well, maybe I'll try this as create, Bruce Wayne. Again, that's but, all it's contrived forced reasons for the script. There's no natural reason why Bruce Wayne well, would have an appointment she, to well, see Well, she's in character. the movie because back in circa 1994 when the movie was that's made. That's what I'm saying. A I'm, love interest was required to be there. I get it. I understand there. from Even a script begins, perspective like, why they contrived her into this, yeah. into this point. I get it. I understand it was still that. A requirement. But the point is, is that she's worthless to the movie. She doesn't need to be in these fucking scenes and like this the bat signal is not a beeper like keep fucking god it's the damn car, right chicks love the car yeah, but, I, but i like those scenes though <laughs> in high school of course you do leather jackets earrings 
Black rubber. I mean, I do like it. Try a fireman. Let's take off. Let's take off. Dude, when when we were watching that tonight and Danielle heard that line, she groaned. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, I don't think she needs to be in the movie at all. We already have enough characters as it is. It's another name to put on a marquee. It's another character poster to put up at your local theater. And it, again, we still have it today to an extent, nowhere near the level where a love interest has to be there. If there was no female character present in the movie, the yeah, studio would feel worried. You can that, include a love interest as a as a checking a box of, of including a love interest, and you cannot have it be as absurdly contrived as her character is in this movie. Like I said, the entire reason that Bruce Wayne's character has an appointment with her, it doesn't, there's no script purpose for it. It's just because the movie needs to create a love triangle between Batman, Bruce Wayne and chase Meridian and have Bruce Wayne eventually become the one that she chooses. That's the only reason it's in the movie. And it feels like that's why it's in the movie. And that's why it's a terrible every fucking time. Like he, and and the first time he fucking meets her, he's like, I've got to get you out of those clothes and into a black dress. Do you like the circus? Like what? What? Yeah, who wrote this? Holy um, fuck, it, man. It's, it's it's very clumsy. It's um, really clumsy. That's the perfect word for it, yes. But we need to move on from this. And we need to talk about the uh, toys. Well, the costumes and the toys. Because um, the costume work in this movie we need to discuss. Because there's always the controversial whenever people bring up the Schumacher films, they always bring up the redesign of the bat suit. Oh, um, what's that stand for? Robin. <laughs> um, I mean, the, a, a Rob- choice, uh, you know, nipples on the bat suit are a choice that hasn't inspired much derision and mockery in the community. But, um, what do y'all think of the redesign? I'm a huge fan of the first two film suits a lot. I've, I don't need to say much more than that. Um, but Bob Brigwood came back. He worked on the first two movies and he did the suits for this one as well. Um, worked on them. Schumacher said he wanted the costumes to have an animatonic look um, and make them look like Greek gods and didn't understand why there wouldn't be nipples on it. If it's supposed to represent like a bare muscular chest as a kid, I didn't like it. Now I don't really care. It doesn't really make a difference. It means but nothing to me. It's, it's it was it was huge to at me. The time, this is though. one of those things. Like it, it's one of those things when when people like when the first Spider Man movie came out and people were really upset that that Tobey Maguire didn't have web shooters. He had organic webs and like people flipped out about it. I don't care. I really don't give a fuck. There are way bigger problems with this movie than bat nipples. People way fucking bigger problems. But it's it's people that, that they they want to nitpick and they want to fanboy and they want to cry and they want to what. There's way, way, way more important fucking things to focus on in this movie. Way more. I actually like the like the first suit, like the, the Panther suit. Yeah, the the because the, the it's very it's definitely very derivative of and inspired by the, the suits from the first two movies. It's got the yellow symbol in the middle of the chest like, you know, it's it's meant to still be a continuation, like a gradual continuation of that suit. I like that suit. The, the sonar suit, the, the fancy schmancy sonar suit or whatever that he gets toward the end of the movie. I think I like how it looks. I mean, when they talk about it being a scu- a, a sonar suit, it kind of is reminiscent of a scuba suit. It feels like it's sleek ish in that regard. So I don't dislike that one either. I think it's, I love it. I think man. it's fine. I, I I don't have any problem with it. I, I really yeah. don't. And uh, the rest of the costumes, too. I mean, like, um, 
the, I love how the Flying Graysons costumes were designed after the original comic book Robin. Um, you know, the, the Two-Face um, costume is fantastic, even though, I mean, we talked about makeup. I, I, I still don't think like the purple, it just looks like purple makeup caked on someone's face, but kind of fits the aesthetic of the film anyway. But the, the costume itself of Two-Face is great. And I love the Riddler. I'm not a fan of you just like the, the production green. design, though. I mean, to go back to the production design, like one of my favorite set pieces and one of my favorite sets in this movie is Two Faces Lair. Like the way yeah. that literally everything. Of course, we haven't talked about Drew Barrymore yet either, but oh god but uh you know it like i love that production design i love that design aesthetic even though you're right it's the you know the character has one speed so it's kind of funny in context when it's like you're seeing him like he'll talk out the left side of his mouth and then out the right side of his mouth like out of way like whatever but yeah i'm sorry you were you were saying about the 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 costumes yeah, and just, stuff like that yeah but. the um the Riddler, I'm not a big fan of like just like the leotard, the, the green leotard, leotard yeah. but the uh, when he comes out and he has the the bowler hat and the uh, cane and everything and, oh, the, the, jacket, and the coat, yeah, that's great, that's amazing, fucking glorious, right Love out that. of the comics, yeah. right out of the comics, and we luckily we get to see a couple of scenes with that, not very often with the hat on, but um. It's been said many times by Jim Carrey himself that he was a huge fan of Frank Gorshin's performance as the Riddler on the original show, and it shows through. He definitely has a lot of mannerisms and he has a lot of homages in his performance to Frank Gorshin, the way he would laugh, the <laughs> and you know, he, he sp- spent so much time in doing the cane training and constantly flipping around that cane. I love that cane. I think just visually, he's one of the most exciting Batman villains. One of my favorite sound screen. effects in this movie, too, is whenever he uses that cane and like hits it against the ground. The- insanely loud metallic thud that it makes love it one of my favorite and this is a film that it has like when i talked earlier about the tone of this film gets lighter and lighter and kind of more ridiculous as it goes on like there's a scene when he attacks the bat cave when they literally play the fucking like the baseball like and then like he's like sitting there like it plays like it plays like the sound of like tobacco spit hitting a fucking spittoon and like, yeah. like the cartoon, the sound effects get so ridiculously cartoonish there toward the end of the fucking movie. It's, it's, and he's literally looking almost. right at the audience. I mean, he's 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 playing to the audience. He's looking he right. Grabs at the his camera. junk and fucking yanks it. Yeah. And there's that cartoon like sound effect whenever he does it. It's like, eh, like as an adult watching it, it doesn't play nearly as well as it did when I was a kid. I mean, I'm still like, I, it's fine for what it is. Like, I'm not going to judge it on that on that merit. It's fine, but it's just like.
because I'm such a huge fan of the Batmobile from the first two movies. I mean, it's iconic. It's one of my favorite things in the entire world. H.R. Giger did the original concept art for the Batmobile here, but the final concept looks more like what they thought an H.R. Giger Batmobile should look like, because the thing he originally came up with looked like a fucking insect. Very uh, it's bizarre, very, yeah. very strange. But I, I've seen this Batmobile in person twice now. What do you guys think of the Batmobile? It is a huge departure compared to the, the Batmobile from the first two movies. I think it fits the tone of the film perfectly fine. I, th- I, I don't dislike it. I like it. I think it when you, t- when you talk about the cartoony kind of nature of the film, I think it fits aesthetically much more than, say, the, the Burton Batmobile would. Yeah, I don't. Uh, it doesn't look very tactical, that's for sure. And it doesn't really look like. I, I don't know. I, I am not a fan at all of the oh, uh, wow. uh, of the light up bat symbol on the wheels. I think they they look actually quite yeah. awful. <laughs> uh, but Justin, what do you what do you think? I mean, well, I mean, like, I won't even lie to you, man. Um, a lot of this was culture shock for me as a kid when I started seeing all these new things, these fresh things, these, these different things, different sounds. Uh, I remember sitting in the theater and waiting for the Elfman theme to play and oh, realizing God, I can and, imagine. And, and, and literally realizing like 15 minutes in, it ain't happening. This, they're not going to play it. Yeah. Like I wanted that theme to play in the opening. Cause they, they up until that point, all Have the trailers the score had the Elfman theme. We have it. We will though. Um, but the Batmobile, I like it. I think it's very interesting. It's not practical in any way. I like the the ribs, how it's like showing like in the internal spots that, that are lit up blue. Here's I like the thing the, about this. Here's the it. thing about this Batmobile is it has the distinct pleasure of being followed up by the absolute batshit lunacy that is the Batman and Robin Batmobile. So it yeah, looks worst. like a yeah. beautiful masterpiece compared it's to still that fucking monstrosity. It's, yeah, it's still menacing and it's still scary looking ish. The, the, the fin on the top isn't practical in any way and shouldn't be there. It's just a I, gigantic. When you see it in person, you're like, that thing's huge. How can that even fit anywhere? And Batman, um, who's like in the shadows all the time, he would not want light up wheels with the, <laughs> the bat symbol on them. Like, I don't know. Again, it's just everything's he's fucking making neon in the movie. during the day now. He's, he's not a creature yeah. of the night in these movies anymore. He's, yeah. he's showing also, up just to be a witness in a, in, a, in, a, in a federal crime boss case for whatever reason. But also, the reason for the redesign is because they want to sell toys on they a did. new redesign. And, and I bought like 10 or 15 of those fucking things. I still have a bunch of them. From that we movie. also get the introduction. Well, the reintroduction. We see the Batwing again. We also get the Batboat and the Batsub. Uh, new vehicles that really are just in the movie for 30 seconds that are like ads for toys. It's like you see the Batsub. 100%. For- about a minute and a half and you can almost see like the text on screen like the in Kenner, stores now collect the them all logo, like, like <laughs> popping up on the screen or whoever made the 100 percent and thing. it worked yeah. for me man it worked it, again the bat boat in this movie blows up within five minutes of it being introduced that's how fast it gets blown up i like the redesign of the bat wing i think it's neat looking it's nowhere near the level on uh, the grittiness of the, the first movie Batwing or anything like that. I love like how that, when it's introduced, it pans over and it's hanging from the ceiling. I think that's so cool. It looks like a, I mean, it looks like a bat. Uh, how long did it take 
for Batman to climb up there and get in the fucking thing. Who cares? We didn't see that part. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying. I know. And then, of course, well, they, also, they try he to parks it, He parks it like he has to fly through the most ridiculously complicated series of sharp turns and tunnels to get Dude, out of the fucking it, bat it, it's cave. It's a shock he doesn't thing. blow up and fucking hit the wall and die on his way out. Oops, sorry, Robin. You're on your own. Batman died trying to get the bat wing out of the fucking uh, bat cave. Like Bruce Wayne is also Anakin Skywalker. He's the best star pilot in the galaxy, and he really wants to show off them skills flying this fucking thing through all these twists and turns like if like what the fuck like pick a more practical place to park your fucking jet you fucking they idiot. also um <laughs> they also homage 89 slightly um but quietly when the batwing leaves wayne manor you see the moon it kind of goes up through the moon a little bit like hey let's try to you know schumacher definitely likes the first movie because he he tries to in- interject or i should say he should rather inject the DNA of that movie into this movie to some extent. Um, but no, Nick, you brought up a great point. We haven't talked about the score and the score is something that I came to terms with. And now as an adult, I really fucking enjoy the hell out of it. It was really a hard thing for me to deal with as a kid because that Elfman theme is still to this day. It's my favorite theme. It's my favorite score of all time. Um, not having it there and accepting as a kid that it's a new theme. Music is so important in movies, and even at, at that point in my life, it was. So what did you have to say? What did you think about the score? I think the score is incredibly fitting for this movie. It's very loud. It's very blaring, and it's very fucking noisy. I hate the score for this fucking movie. It's terrible. Oh, I've wow. always hated it. I've absolutely always hated it. it you don't even like the march? Any, it lacks any of the nuance or any of the depth of, of the Elfman score. And and like I said, it's very, very loud and very blaring. It's, it's just like the characters, the costumes, and everything else in this movie. It's very, very loud. It's just very noisy. It's very blaring, but it just, it lacks any subtlety. And that's one of the things I think you could say about this movie period as a whole is that it just lacks any subtlety. It's very, very loud it's meant to be very loud and popcornish you know this score reminds me a lot of like the marvel scores that we get in modern like it's it's just there it's just it's just there to me and whenever i notice it it's to be annoyed by it because it's really like really loud it's like like fuck it's just like garbled noise in my fucking ear Uh, there's a lot of high high way too many fucking like high-pitched fucking like squealing (laughs) notes that are way too fucking loud in the sound well he um Oh, it's it's just Golden it's not a good score, and it's not mixed well either. So it's just fucking the whole thing is just a, a, a excruciating. He wrote it. He said he wrote the initial Batman theme, the march, his march. Um, I don't mind like the like the theme, would, like the like the quieter. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, the quieter theme I think is is fine, but yeah, it, most of the score of this movie is literally just like blaring noise. I, I agree with Nick. Like the incidental music is very yeah. uh, uninspired, and it is at times it's just very noisy. I think the theme itself, uh, it, it's it's you had to walk a fine line with this because you couldn't stray too close to what Danny Elfman did. I think that it sounds distinct enough from Danny Elfman's theme, but it's to me it still sounds like it's 100%. like an echo of it a little bit. Like it, 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 yeah, it kind yeah, of a little reminds bit. you of it, but not it, like, like I like the, I agree that, with that theme when it's quieter mm-hmm. in the movie. Like you get some of those quieter moments, like mm, like it's it's those I like, but like yeah, yeah. most of the music in this movie I just. It's not as energetic as Elfman's theme, but when I hear it, I think that's unmistakably Batman. Like, oh, here comes Batman. Yeah, like, that's true. what I, I would agree. That's what I feel when I hear the theme itself. 
Um, but yeah, the incidental music leaves a lot to be desired, but the soundtrack, the songs of the film, um, we, we need to talk about Kiss from a Rose. Because Which, is there, no, we don't. Is there, it plays at the end of the fucking credits. You know, uh, okay, yes. But which song better encapsulated the 1990s than Kiss from a Rose by Seal? It was written before the movie even came out. They okay. they met, Schumacher met with Seal, liked it, said, I want that for the movie. You want to know what makes this movie the most 90s movie of all fucking time? It has a fucking offspring song in song? it. Oh, it does have an offspring song. It does. Batman and Robin had a Smashing Pumpkin song to it too. So I, I mean, mean it was like this is it, it's so like, during the heyday. Is, of there's that. certain things when you hear in like the era, like like Offspring, like legitimately was like I listened to them all the time in the '90s. I loved them. Me too. You know? they're, they're mid '90s. That's but they're mid, definitely mid to late a very 90s very sure. mid '90s ish band. So as yeah. soon as you hear Offspring, you immediately only think of that era in time. So it very much places this movie within that time frame. And they actually play Offspring in the movie. It's not just on the soundtrack. They play it in. Like during the movie, it's just you know, I yeah, I love it. I, I, I love the nineties, man. Like, Take me back. I love please. the song. Like I think my favorite song in the soundtrack. I don't know who sings it. I don't know what the name of the song is, but it's the song when when after after Carrie quits Wayne Enterprises after Stickley's suicide. You hate your boss. And then he goes home, job. and there's that that song where he's like sitting there doing his proto Riddler stuff and whatever. His shtick. How yeah, does, no, it's a great. Can we talk. I want to talk about this for a moment, and I don't know if anybody else has anything else to weigh in about the score or anything. But I can we talk for a moment about the absolute ludicrous ineptitude of 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 Batman in one hand, and then of the, the police department in Gotham on the other hand, and because there are numerous times when the police just don't do anything. Like when, the, when the Riddler and two face are robbing all these casinos and banks and stuff like that, like the news, all the news reports is like that. There's still no sign of Batman. Where are the fucking police? What are they doing ever? And like all like, like, but Nick Batman's the hero. I think Pat Hingles in this movie more so than any of the other installments, just to be Batman's cheerleader. Yep. in this movie like it's, every time batman shows up he's like yay <laughs> it's like it's it's almost like he's cheering because they like the police department doesn't have to do any more work now <laughs> or anything like that so it's terrible but like also there's a very distinct scene and talking about you know the music the that song when carrie is back at his apartment that's when he's making the riddle that he takes to wayne manor and puts on the front of the gate like, and for some reason, Wayne doesn't have like a camera you can't, in front of his but, gate. Even if you don't have a camera, like you can't dust <laughs> this motherfucking on. thing for fingerprints or anything. Dude, yeah, like, no, he's I'm, just like, doing just... it with his bare hands, just like gluing. Like a very simple forensic check probably would have told you that it was Mister E. All and the along. fact that he doesn't figure it out initially anyway just by using his detective skills World's and his logic. greatest detective, not I so mean, much. He, he does do. He does do more. I'd say each the first three movies he does figure stuff out and this one it shows him in the bat cave you really are quite bright sir despite what people say despite what some people say (laughs) they have that line in there but you actually see him at the end there rocking the turtleneck which thank you for with continuity making him wear the black turtleneck again and having the circular eyeglasses that keaton wore in the first two movies because that reminds me that oh hey this is supposed to be the same batman in some way but they actually show him there in the cave, trying to figure out riddles. And it reminded me so much of the 60s show. And I think that's the DNA 
put in there by Joel Schumacher that was a fan of the show because that's what they did in the show. They sat there in front of the screen and, all right, we have to figure this out, Alfred or Robin or whoever it was there with them. And that was that. So we got some of that. You don't see him on the streets actually doing physical detective work, but he's trying to figure it out. There's like numerous fucking scenes in this movie where literally no, it's just everybody waiting for Batman to show up to do literally everything. And it's 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 like every time I'm like, but what but what are the Gotham City police do? What what what, what are they doing? I mentioned this scene earlier before we recorded, uh, but I have to bring it up again. This scene pissed me off as a kid when uh, whatever uh, the Riddler and Two Face are doing their schemes, whatever they're doing, robbing everything, robbing everything. There's a part where there's a police officer. There's two police officers just standing there, and the Riddler asks Two Face, "Like, I want to learn how to punch. Teach me how to punch a guy." And he literally Two Face punches a dude. A, a police officer who's just standing there, not even attempting to <laughs> stop whatever's to happening. Anything. He's literally just standing there. And then the Riddler then punches another police officer who's also just standing there. What are Nick is right. The police don't do anything in this movie in, in terms of solving crimes. And then when even we actually you, see the police on screen, they're literally standing there waiting to be punched. Well, they're even completely compare- ineffectual. Even if you compare this to the the first two movies, in the first two movies, they are out. They get their asses whooped, and they don't really accomplish anything, but you still see them chasing the Joker's goon, chasing the Maybe Batmobile. this is just the natural progression of, of, of the appearance of trying. Batman in the city. They're like, well, fuck it. Batman's going to do it all for us anyway. We might as well just sit here and pull <laughs> well, our Well, think puns. about it. In Batman and Robin, when Poison Ivy shows up, you must not be from Gotham. In Gotham, Batman and Robin protect us. There's a line in that movie, and there aren't no cops do anything in Batman and Robin either. They, you know, so Fucking a cop hell. does give my favorite line in Batman and Robin, which is when Mr. No, Freeze no, no. is, well, when Mr. Freeze is freezing the cop, he says, my lungs are freezing. That's my favorite line in Batman and Robin's underrated. I'm afraid that my condition has left me cold to your pleas of mercy. No, please don't get me out. We'll save that for another day, ladies and gentlemen. We bring you back around. There you go. But we're not going to talk about Batman and Robin uh, uh, because, you know, that can be saved for another time. We have to talk about the fact of what this movie was setting up to do and what it actually turned out to be thanks to the magnetism of Jim Carrey. This movie could have been a lot darker. And Akiva Goldsman has come out on record a bunch of times in every interview. He He's done what he could to defend the parts of the script that he had a hand in that were darker. Um, the deleted scenes, Nick, I don't know if you've ever watched all of them or not, but Ages ago. one of my one of my favorite scenes that was removed from the movie that I think would have really benefited it so, so much is the Bruce facing his fear scene. Yep. As an adult, because he's doubting the, the entire movie at this point, if he still wants to be Batman, this is. This is post-Superman doing the same thing, but pre-Spider-Man and all those movies doing the same thing, or Iron Man, where the hero is doubting himself, doesn't know if he wants to continue on with being the hero. You know what the scene that and- pisses me off the most in this movie is, Loy Sauce? It's when Batman goes over to Chase Meridian's house and she's like, no, I don't like, I don't, or I don't, I don't like, ba- I don't like you. I like somebody else. And he immediately quits Batman. <laughs> He was just like, nope, fuck this, I'm out. 
I feel like there is a scene that we <laughs> should have. The actual, fu- yeah, that's the thing. It's like there probably was, you know, it's like you were talking about. There's there's stuff missing and whatnot. They pretty much excise that whole plot except for that point, which literally ultimately means nothing to the film. It it literally ultimately means nothing. You could have cut that from the film and it would have changed absolutely nothing about it. Instead, it's just this weird one-off scene where he's walking Robin through the Batcave, turning off all the Bat stuff, and he's like, Batman is no more. The innocent aren't faceless uh, anymore. Uh, it's just, I guess it's just showing that he is quitting to make you wonder if he is going to quit. I think the scene of him showing up at her place is pointless because she's going to figure out who that they're the same person in like two scenes from then anyway. Um, but of course you get to see Nicole Kidman with her nipples and she, it's very sexy. And I, I actually, it's, it's Joel Schumacher directing. So it's done very well, beautifully stylized, but then it's also the moment that it's, it's a gif. It's a meme. Batman smiling, even though Keaton smiles as Batman and returns, he smiles before he sticks dynamite on a guy and blows him up. <laughs> In this case, he's smiling because he knows he doesn't have to wear a bat suit to get his dick wet, I guess. So, but the scene she'd probably still ask him to, though, just you know, because but this, but the scene that you're talking about, Justin, the the deleted scene, um, yes, with the giant animatronic bat involved a gigantic animatronic bat, um, that first of all looked amazing, and second of all, I think it would have added a lot of depth to, um, the Batman character. I mean, we're, we're missing a lot of that here. That yeah, it would have been du- depth for du- a Batman character in a Batman movie. The, the duality of the character. Um, there's a whole scene um, that was deleted that was meant to reveal in the theatrical version. Bruce talks about the book his fi- finding his father's diary. That's yeah. right. And they cut the crucial part of why they brought the diary up, which is the fact that he finds out that written in the diary, his father wrote, we wanted to stay home tonight, but Bruce insisted on going to the movie. So he finds out that it's, it's his, he's responsible in a way for his parents' death because, or he feels responsible, he feels guilty because if he hadn't made his parents take him to the movies, they would still be alive. So he has that guilt that's erased from the movie because they cut that scene. And I, I feel like that's what the movie is missing is that sense of... Con- inner conflict for Batman and and I, I feel like because of its absence the movie feels a little bit hollow yeah especially when there's other scenes that are supposed to connect to that which don't really add up to much because it's not there well, it's like you it's, a, it, it's like I said it's like the scene where he just automatically quits Batmaning it makes no sense in the context of the movie because there's in the actual film there's no hint ever in the movie that he is even questioning his role as Batman like he's accepted that this is I mean he mentions at one point that Chase Meridian calls it being a curse or whatever but like he's accepted that this is his responsibility that this is his role like it comes out of complete like fucking left field that all of a sudden he's like yeah fuck it I'm outie see ya peace fuck this batman thing yeah it's like what Uh, it's unfortunate like i said i I just appreciate the original ideas that this movie is supposed to uphold and convey it didn't unfortunately do that and i think a lot of it has to do with i wonder if it's like i didn't mean to cut you off there justin but i I wonder if it was i wonder if it was maybe a little bit of, of of schumacher or goldsman or somebody fighting to try to keep some piece of that in the movie and maybe that's why that scene ends up in the movie even though it doesn't make a ton of sense contextually like they wanted to fight to get one little piece of it in there and as long as they delivered a runtime under x 
you know, they, they got to squeeze something in there and they couldn't fit it's in. It's exactly like, two hours long. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like maybe, maybe that's why it's in there because maybe they didn't want to excise the whole thing. Maybe they wanted to hint that there was something more here and we just couldn't put it in or what. I don't, I don't know. It's frustrating though, because it, like, I think Kilmer and it, we mentioned it before when Lois Oss was talking about his work as Bruce Wayne in the dramatic scenes where he's good. He's good. And I think the more that you give him to do dramatically as Bruce Wayne in this movie, the better this movie would be. But again, this is a Batman movie. They already have a tried and true formula where they have a more ridiculous over the top villain and a kind of flatter by comparison, Batman. It ain't broke. Don't fix it. So yeah. people are showing up. People, the people want that Jim Carrey screen time. Uh, we need more funny Jim Carrey scenes. We need, need more ridiculous Jim Carrey stuff. We need more Tommy Lee Jones also being over the top and ridiculous for whatever reason, you know, like they probably had that in the movie when they screened it, like for executives or whatever, they were just like, where's all the funny stuff? You know, what the fuck is this detour to do this bullshit, you know, cut all this bullshit out. We have, we got funny stuff to get to. The animatronic bat might be too scary for the children. Well, that's true. And it's been said Schumacher did, he did fight. He did want it to be darker. And they kept pushing for lighter, more colorful. So I, I do believe it because, I, again, when you look at his past works, he's not exactly like the, the director you'd think of to to make this kind of movie. He makes dark, stylized, well, this is very much, progressive movies. And you can tell that this movie is, and a lot of people really ride him for this and for Batman and Robin especially, but this is a they movie. They need to shut the fuck up. This is man. a movie really by do. committee. This is a movie that the producers had their fucking hands all over this thing. He probably had like next to no control sitting in that director's chair. All he was allowed to do was say action and cut, basically. And and, and I feel bad because people do people do blame Schumacher. And if you listen to the commentary, if you watch the special features, especially of Batman and Robin, he says, like, these are toy commercials. I was hired to basically produce toy commercials for the studio. So mm-hmm. I blame the studio for 100% uh, f- for you know the shortcomings fortunately, of Forever and Robin. Fortunately, Warner Brothers would never again interfere with any of their directors or or no, with any no, other no, no, films no, no, that no. come out or anything. This was mm-hmm. the last time. Oh, that's right. We this wouldn't have to deal time. with right. we, we wouldn't have to deal with Warner Brothers uh you know interfering with any of their directors or comic book properties ever again. This is the only time. Um but anyhow, so and I feel bad because Schumacher says, you know, for the people who are disappointed, I apologize. He needs to stop apologizing, though. He really needs to stop apologizing. He needs to stand up for the movie and, the, and be proud of it. People need to stop being mad about it. It's this movie. and I mean, even Batman and Robin, it came out two years after this. These movies are over 20 years old. If you can't just enjoy them for the value that they have at this point. Like, I mean, I've been critical of certain aspects of this movie, but I fucking love this movie. I absolutely yeah, adore man. it. It's 100%. cheesy, dumb, popcorn fun. It's ridiculously over the top, and I love every dripping, oozing second of it. Lois Sass was talking about the acting from the greatest character actor outside of Lieutenant Eckhart and the CAA guy from the security guard. But, oh, no, it's boiling acid. I fucking die laughing every time I watch that scene. There's so much just fun to be had with this movie. Just, like, I there get is. people being critical of a movie, like, when you see it, but, like, they're, I don't understand, like, people that, like, watch a movie 25 years ago and still vehemently attack it like every day, like whenever it comes up on a constant basis. I don't get it. I don't get like holding on to hatred for anything, a movie, especially, but literally anything for any length of time. Just, just, I hope we're moving past this. I mean, I love it, man. 
I, I've brought it up before, but I screened Batman and Robin for its 20th anniversary a few years ago at Alamo Drafthouse. And people showed up and people had a great time. So I feel like if you look at Batman Forever or Batman and Robin or whatever with fresh eyes, you'll find a lot to appreciate. These are, my, Green you know, these are my kind of not final Lantern, thoughts though. on it as we're Never wrapping Green up Lantern. here. But <laughs> I think, what's up? I said not Green Lantern, though. Never Green Lantern. <laughs> well, there are nope. exceptions. But um, just kind of as we're wrapping up here, I think there are some missed opportunities. There are some shortcomings. I mean, we talked about the fact that Billy D. Williams as Two-Face, like imagine oh. the movie that this could have been if we had Billy D. Williams as Two-Face and why didn't we get that? Um, you know, he he was able to reprise his role in the Lego Batman movie. He had a grand total of two lines, but like we, we needed to have Billy D. Williams in this movie. I think it would have been much improved. Um, but, you know, despite all of that, you can tell there was real effort and you can tell there was, you know, despite it feeling commercial, it, it, there is a real heart that went into the creation of Batman forever um it, it you know it's it wasn't quite the dark vision that made burton's film so compelling you know nor was the franchise yet a prisoner to the shameless naked uh, cynicism and, and chintzy ill-conceived clownery that befell batman and robin instead it, it fits comfortably in between um I think very it's perfectly put. I think it's the very definition of fast food cinema. It's quick, attractively packed. It's quick, attractively packaged, and easily consumable. Yep, one hundred percent. It goes right along with that McDonald's tie-in that was connected to it that I get so nostalgic for. So nostalgic, Nick saucy that when i get back from my vacation i think i'm gonna cheat on my carnivore diet and no. i'm gonna go get a fucking extra large big mac and a fucking whopping diet coke you're gonna and regret gonna, it <laughs> and i'm gonna pour that shit in my riddler glass and pretend it's 1995 in this bitch i still have the fry holders guys the cardboard fry holders with all the characters if you're gonna cheat on, on your diet why i still have you get those good food I'm going to get good food on my vacation, but I said when I get back to do it on the show. Remember, I like to eat crap on the show once in a while. No, save that for Halloween when they release like the Black Bun Whopper or whatever bullshit they're going to come out with this year. Like, uh, a right. burger a burger wrapped in fucking like old bed sheets for like it's a mummy burger. <laughs> <or something. laughs> Fuck knows, man. Who knows what they're going to uh. fucking do? I don't, but I I, I want I wanted to close out with this. I this movie I am very nostalgic for. I have a very deep nostalgia for. I, I have a lot of great memories for this movie. But there are a few awesome Batman moments that I have to really highlight that give me goosebumps each time because this movie does have great Batman moments, regardless of what some people say. The opening and suit up scene still to this day goosebumps. Louis Sauce, you already mentioned it earlier when Two Face is trying to blow up Batman and he runs out of those flames sweaty, hot, breathing so hard, about to pass out. And he stands up all heroic-like with the cape blowing. It's amazing. Also, at the end of the movie, when Commissioner Gordon was actually doing something, which would have been turning off the bat signal, he's like, turn it off. He's not coming. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And then you hear the wind blowing. And then the bat wing flies through the Riddler turned bat signal and it turns back to normal. It's go, go, go. And then Golden you know, My favorite part plays. is that we've talked I about this that. movie for about 90 minutes and none of us have talked about the fucking, the final action set piece because it's probably the worst part of the movie. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is very lackluster. It also presents us with the mention. Holy rusted metal Batman. 
I mean, uh, that's fine. It's a tongue-in-cheek reference like to the 60s like show. It. It's, it's, that's I all like it's meant it. to be. But the, the, the fact that Batman literally goes, huh? It, it, it just, yeah. What? Oh, yeah, there's no. a moment. Okay, they play Battleship to blow up the mines in the fucking oh, boat, which God. is terrible. You sunk my Battleship. Which is terrible. And then, Who, like, me? The, it doesn't even make sense. Like, how? I'm watching it today, and I think it's the first time I've ever thought about this, literally ever. How does the box work? Why is it that when Batman throws his batarang at the fucking big crystal glass fucking thing why is it that it sucks all of the genius out of the riddler's head that doesn't even make sense it literally doesn't even make fucking he's consumed he's consumed everything into his brain why would blowing that up exactly it does i'm watching it today and i'm i I like literally had that moment like you when you're watching a movie and something makes so little sense you just kind of cock your head to the side you're like wait what like that's the kind of movie when the big thing explodes (laughs) that means the movie's over (laughs) But it Thank looks you, cool, Lysos. and I really like I like the setup to that scene. Yeah, I like the setup the to it too, and, and I like I even like the setup of you know, um, you know, I'm Batman now because I choose to be. You know, I had to save Amazing. the like, I love that. Like that's that's a, that's a great moment, but it makes literally fucking zero sense that blowing up this thing would all of a sudden suck all the genius out of Edward Nigma's head because and deform his face. Too. Yeah, like where has this thing been? Like the whole movie has he had some version of this the whole movie that we haven't? Well, we seen? see what we see earlier on when he's first getting everything. It, it it is connected to him sucking the brainwaves from Gotham because earlier on there's a scene of all the brainwaves going from the yeah, city like channeling to the, the brainwaves and channeling it down head, to him. But why it does this thing need to exist in order for him to keep the genius in his head? Like it's it just it it, it it as soon as you as soon as you even pull up that 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 set of binoculars or that telescope and you try to sharpen it just a little bit to look at this movie a little bit closer to be like, wait, what? That's when it all starts to fall apart. So you can't do that. And that's my final thought on the movie. You just have to go into this movie and you just have to enjoy it for what it is. It's Carrie at peak Carrie. It's got Kilmer fine. Uh, it's got Kidman at, oh my God, that woman is world fucking class. Uh, it's got Tommy Lee Jones like more Cackling over the top than anyone constantly. has ever been in any movie, literally ever. Uh, it, it's just it's 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 fun it's as loisaw said it's literally the perfect summation of this film fast food cinema you digest it you get it in there you probably feel a little bit bad maybe you got like a little boulder in your gut for a couple of hours maybe after you watch it you take good shit and you're done it's over the end (laughs) but when you're tasting it it's salty and delicious exactly one, just like those golden arch fries. God damn it. I'm going to drive down there right the fuck now. I'm no, this you're diet. not. I'm doing it. I'm going to put on Batman Forever again. And I'm going to listen to Seal all night. But no, 100%. <laughs> we went long on this, guys. But you know what? But we this love movie's this really movie. special. And uh, we felt like it. And to celebrate its 25th anniversary, I wanted to give the movie uh, the time that I think it deserves. A lot of movie podcasts shit on it. A lot of... YouTube movie critics shit on it. A lot of people act like it's cool I to shit on Batman movie. Forever. I have probably seen this movie more times in my life than almost any other movie. Seriously. Like between wow. I, like I said, I owned the VHS Batman trilogy and I wore out those fucking VHSs. I watched this shit out of 89, out of Returns, and out of Batman Forever. I've like I said, I could quote this entire movie from fucking beginning to end. I literally I mean, sure did. it doesn't have Eckhart. Okay, it, we know it. So it's not perfect. It. It's not There's perfect. There's no Keaton. 
I get it. It's fine. There's no Elfman. There's no but Burton. But it does have the bank security guard at the beginning. Hey, I, I, that's my hearing aid. <laughs> thanks. I guess I guess there's enough there. But for me, this movie holds up being exactly what it was supposed to be then in 1995 and exactly what it's supposed to be now. Good popcorn fluff cinematic junk food. And there's that. That's Batman forever for your ass. For its 25th anniversary. 25 years of Batman Forever. So let us know, ladies and gentlemen, over on the Sochmeads, what do you think of Batman Forever? Loy Sauce, where can they find us on the Sochmeads? You can find us at Epic Film Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also feel free to join in the discussion on our fan community group, The Hopesters Dumpster, where, you know, chat about movies and you can also vote in things like our hashtag canon quarantine poll so ladies and gentlemen as you know because of covid we've been quarantined and we've been watching canon films next up in the series is the last american virgin which lois Austin and i will experience for the first time it will pop our last american virgin cherry i guess you could say justin ain't gonna be here. justin ain't gonna be here so we're gonna get to have all sorts we're actually gonna get to have fun on an episode for once we won't have the sheriff barking at us the whole time just trying to crack the rule of law onto it fine i'll just I'll go, go eat a bunch of mcdonald's and i'll come back 15 pounds fucking heavier and miserable then see how much you like me <laughs> <laughs> when the cat's away jesus christ but yeah that's gonna be next week ladies and gentlemen stay tuned for monday because there is a b-side coming for justin and the sauce that they recorded it's coming i promise uh it was supposed to come out like two fucking weeks ago but <sighs> you've you've been busy live stream for the cure is duty a thing, calls guys. live stream duty for calls the cure for is, is a thing so uh we've got other anniversaries coming up this month we've got alfred hitchcock's psycho 60 years we're probably going to try to squeeze something in for total recall even though we're already past the anniversary date because it was at the beginning of the month i will fucking review it myself i don't care i love that movie and ladies and gentlemen coming up at the end of the month i am yeah drop your weapons, weapons. what are you doing down there judge hershey waiting for backup it's here or your dick, maybe. <laughs> Dude, Stallone dick. Throw down your weapons. Diane Lane. Throw down your weapons yeah. and prepare to be judged. Uh, so, yeah. So, tons and tons and tons of fun stuff coming up. Plus, we've got more canon movies. I, I, a Chuck Norris movie hasn't won yet. Somebody's going to make me suffer through one of those eventually in this series. I know it. We've got more Bronson movies. We've got so much more great canon stuff to go in hashtag canon quarantine as well. So much more amazing content. And now that live stream for the cure is over, um, I'll be able to sleep once in a while. Maybe. I, I hope so. Maybe, but uh, you deserve it. Before we get out of here, ladies and gentlemen, before we get out of here, uh, I want to make sure to direct you. If you're not already following us over on Twitch, follow us at twitch.tv slash epic film guys. Now, our recording schedule is sometimes Monday, sometimes Tuesday around 10 p.m. Eastern time. Follow the Twitch channel so you get notified when we go live because we are going to be live streaming our pre roll. That's like the wrestling talk me and Justin have been doing all sorts of random 
banter about our lives and movie related stuff is all going to be available over on the Twitch channel. We're really trying to push to grow that, especially in terms of the live stream for the cure next year. So you'll get to see us. You'll get to see Lois Oss's beautiful goddamn D'Artagnan beard. And ladies and gentlemen, if you have not seen this thing, you need to, I promise you, you will, you'll fall in love just like me and Justin do every goddamn time we record. Just look at it got to see it in person i'm telling you it's way better in person so yeah make sure you're following the twitch channel over there and you're going to get live content from efg also if you're not following the efg youtube channel head over to youtube uh search for epic film guys i think it's youtube i don't know if actually no i don't think we have enough subscribers to actually have our own unique channel url yet which is weird but uh yeah make sure you head over to youtube and follow the channel because every single week there's going to be an episode a video preview of the episode that is coming out that week over on the youtube channel as well uh we're just trying to gear out and pump a lot of content out there for you guys to tune into so head over there make sure you tune in make sure you watch make sure you listen make sure you subscribe on the podcatcher of your choice Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spreaker, Blueberry, Loy Sauce's mom, every podcatcher <laughs> under the sun. Oh, your mom seems sweet. I love her. I'm not even going to touch that one. <laughs> uh, wait a minute. Hang on. You're not my fucking mother. That seems more appropriate. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, Thank you so, so much for listening. Thank you so, so much for all of your amazing support. Livestream for the Cure 4, again, was a smash fucking success. Thanks to all of you amazing people out there. We love every single one of you. For myself, for Justin, who's going bye-bye, Loisos, we finally get a week away. And ladies and gentlemen, for the God of Podcasting, Ow! Shout out especially to Colby Mack because uh, over the weekend, Colby was on a live stream for Black Lives Matter uh, on Geekly Goods over on YouTube. And uh, Patreon money for the Epic Film Guys for the month of June actually went over to that. And I actually doubled the donation this month. So uh, donated that over there and all the funds for that live stream went straight to Black Lives Matter. So make sure you support that. Make sure you get out there and, and you know keep being safe that's the most important thing being safe but also keep making your voice heard you know don't stop you we can't let up you can't stop like they're making headway it's it's great that 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 that, that progress is being made that reforms are being announced legislations being announced legislation is going to be voted on and things like that where actual change of some measurable degree could happen which there's is still a, great, a lot of work to do there's still a lot of lot of work to do so make sure you continue to support the cause don't let your voice go unheard don't be silent get out there make your voice heard support black lives matter because black lives do matter and i think i i'm gonna paraphrase it and i'm gonna paraphrase it terribly because i don't have it in front of me but uh injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere i think is is to paraphrase martin luther king jr the absolute great iconic martin luther king jr it's, it's our duty as, as human citizens to love and to respect one another and to fight and to, and to support and to respect until every single one of us is treated equally in every single regard of our lives under the law, under everything. So continue to make your voices heard. Like Loisa said, there's a lot of work yet to be done. So ladies and gentlemen, until next time... 
we will see you at the movies. <laughs> <laughs>